All right, all right. Welcome back. Welcome back, Miss Pam. This is our one-on-one training uh, for your Georgia State Life Insurance Exam. I'm excited to have you back here. All right. So we're going yes. to pick up from where we left yesterday, right? And um, so these are the things you know, highlighted here or the ones we, we covered yesterday. Now, let's just go over some things quickly um, to just make sure you remember some of these things from yesterday. Number one, uh, what are the required signatures um, on the life insurance um, application? Mm -hmm. uh, so the, um, the agent. Perfect. The insured. Mm -hmm. And the policy owner. Yes, and the policy owner or another name is the applicant, right? So, applicant, yes. yeah, because it, it switches to policy owner after it's approved, then the applicant becomes okay. The All right. Um, if if there, what are the two ways to um, handle changes in an application? Can you repeat that again? What are, what the are, two the, what ways? are yeah? What are the two ways to handle changes in an application, in an insurance application? So if there's any mistakes and you need to change anything, what are the two ways to to handle that? A signature and initial. I don't, I don't know. No, you have to initial. So any changes that must be made must be initial by the um, applicant or the insured. Right. And and. and What's the other um, um, option and, 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 and a better option? Uh, to start all over. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So, okay. so, so on the exam, when you're giving um, those two options, you also want to pick start over, start a new application, right? Okay. Um, if they just, um, if they don't say if um, starting over or starting over a new application is not one of the options, then in that case, the correct answer will be um, the, in the short, yeah. Uh, and, and as I said yesterday in the exam, most of the time they're going to use, they're going to substitute in short for uh, for um, applicant, you know, and policy owner. So so they use that interchangeably, uh, not, not to apply to both, you know. Uh, so in short, most of the time um, will mean both the policy owner uh, or the applicant and insured because you know, most life insurance policies, from my experience, about 90% of them will be, uh, you know, the owner will be the same as the insured or the applicant will be the same as the insured. So they'll use it interchangeably. So on, on the exam, you always want to make sure that you get uh, any change in the application. Um, you as the agent, you're allowed to um, make changes on the application. So so maybe the maybe um, maybe the client um, mistakenly misspelled their address, or or they, or they mistakenly um, put you know, their wrong um, date of birth, um, or whatever you know uh, on the application. Any mistake, you are allowed to draw a line through it. If it's a paper application, you can draw a line through it and make the correction. But the but the um, applicant or the insurer must initial that correction. That is because anything you do, the applicant must consent to it, right? So by the applicant initially, uh, that shows that the uh, applicant consents to it. But the best way to always go 
And I tell all my um, new agents that come on board to just save yourself a lot of headaches and any dispute, just start a new application. All right, so the next thing. Um, so tell me in your own words, um, if an applicant, no, um, no, if an agent gets an incorrect uh, no, or incomplete application from, uh, from an applicant, what should the agent do? If, if the agent yeah. gets incomplete? Yeah, if an agent receives an incomplete application from um, an applicant, um, what should the agent do? Go back to the, to the applicant? Yep, exactly. So, 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 so have the applicant fill it now. Um, on the exam, because the exam, some, some questions will be very tricky, and I'm sure we'll come across that as we go along this. Uh, go along with this. Some, some questions will get a little tricky, and and again, as I said, sometimes you have to pick. You may have two or three, um, two or three correct answers, but you have to pick oh. the best answer, right? The so, question, yeah. The question that I had uh, mm -hmm. last night, it was mm -hmm. um, if the um, if the insured, if the insurance company receives an incomplete application from the agent. Okay, perfect. What so, does what 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 happens? Okay, perfect. What, what will the um you know the insurance company do? Perfect. So if the insurance company receives an incomplete application, well, uh, you no. Know, the insurance company can do mm, one of two or three things. Number one, they can just deny the application outright. Like, okay. Yeah, that was the one that I chose, mm -hmm. but it was actually uh, returned to the agent. That exactly. was the answer. Exactly. So so it's, it's, it's the first option. So so the insurance company can just deny the application outright, right? Uh, no, the second option is they can they can return the application uh, 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 to the agent, right? They can return it to the agent and say, hey, you know what, there's a mistake here, go and take it back to the client to fix it out. Or sometimes the insurance company, for whatever reason, will maybe mistakenly um, approve the application. Now, um, approving the application is not the right answer uh, on, on the exam, but insurance companies, uh, so you gotta know it's not the right answer, but, but what happens if they mistakenly approve the uh, an incomplete application, that means they waive the right. So in this case, let's get back to the question, right? So, so what would the insurance company do? So, so the first option, you know, the first choice and the most correct answer would be for the insurance company to return it to the agent. Right. But, but if you don't see that on the exam, and one of the as you know the options is um, uh, deny or reject the application because it's also within the right for mm -hmm. them to deny or, uh, you know, or reject an incomplete application. Right. So, so again, that's why I say the exam is going to be you know sometimes you have two or three correct answers, but mm -hmm. you have to select the most correct. So in our case, the most correct answer will be return, uh, you know, return to the agent. Okay. Okay, so return to the agent will be the first most correct. The second, if it's not there, then the next one will be um, deny the application. Okay. All right. Um, so let's come here. Next thing on, uh, and, and guys, well, you know, like you guys can cannot see this. Uh, I'm on Zoom with Miss Pam. Uh, she's from Georgia, and we're trying to prepare her for her life insurance exam. So, so you guys cannot see this. 
But one of the things I do is I use the exam outline to uh, help people prepare for the exams. So that's what we're going, we're doing right now, just going point by point uh, on the exam outline. Okay, so the next thing here on your exam outline is warranties and representation. So tell me in your own words, what is warranty and what is representation? So the representation um, would just be the information that an applicant gives on, on an application. Perfect. Uh, to the best of their knowledge. Perfect. Uh, warranty is something that is guaranteed, you could say, yes. Yep, uh, it's guaranteed to be what? To be true. Perfect. And insurance applications are always what? Uh, statements on insurance applications are always what? Representations. Perfect, perfect. That will be on your application, on your exam 100%, right? Uh, yes, statements on insurance applications are always considered representations. Why? Because, I mean, I can't guarantee, as I said yesterday, right? So, for example, if I have diabetes, no, uh, I may have diabetes and I know I have diabetes. You know, maybe I have not gone to the doctor for five or 10 years, right? Um, and the, the, on the application, they're going to ask, do you have diabetes? I'm going to say, no, I don't have diabetes, right? Uh, um, but now, because some, sometimes insurance companies for life insurance um, um, applications, depending on the amount of um, uh, death benefit you're applying for, they may require labs. They may require medical or work, right? So now mm -hmm. you come and do your labs, they find out, oh, well, uh, well you have diabetes. Well, actually, if you have diabetes, you said no. We actually, if you have HIV, you said no. But hey, we just discovered you have HIV, you have diabetes, so you lied to us. So, so in that case, they're not going to use that against you to deny, you know, to say, oh, because you lied to us, you're automatically denied, right? Because why is considered representation. Representation means I'm giving you the information that I know to the best of my ability, you know, or, or to the best of my knowledge. So I cannot guarantee it's true, but that's what I believe is true. Now, warranties, you are saying like, I am guaranteeing you it's true. So when you when when you guarantee that something is true and it's not true, then there can be penalties, there can be consequences. So for example, if you file a mortgage application and you and, and they ask you how much what's your annual income and you tell them I make fifty thousand dollars, I make um, you know hundred thousand, when you actually make just uh, you know earn just fifty thousand. Mm -hmm. because you know, mortgage applications and all those things, you know, um, most of those financial uh, you know, um, applications for um, you know, with financial institutions, like banks and stuff, you always consider warranties, right? So if you, if you lie on that, you no, know, um, not only will your application be denied, but you can get into legal trouble. People go to jail sometimes for lying on your mortgage application or... Mm -hmm. So, so the good thing for us in the insurance industry and for you as the applicant or for, for people who want insurance is that you can rest assured that you're not going to go to jail for lying uh, or for misrepresentation now, unless it's intentional, uh, you intentionally lie, right? Uh, not to, uh, you intentionally lie to defraud the insurance company, then that's considered fraud. Then you know, it's a it's a different ball game. You can you know you can end up in jail and all of that. But if it's just an innocent mistake because you didn't know, uh, you know they can't hold you responsible for that. All right. 
And so the next thing we went over yesterday was the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So tell me everything you know about the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Uh, that it was enacted on 1970. Perfect. Look at that. Um, that it protects consumers. Mm -hmm. It is a federal law. Perfect. And but what what exactly is the Fair Credit Reporting Act supposed to do? Like, yeah, it protects uh, consumers, but in what way? Um. Mm. Well, I do know that it like um, it's a report that has uh, consumers information. Um. Mm -hmm. Like I guess like the credit scores, um, it can tell whether or not um, they pay their bills on time, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, there's some other information that I've kind of forgot about, but okay, uh, let's uh, let's just go over the fair credit reporting because that's one of um, you know one of the things that I guarantee you will be on your exam because it's it's on your exam outline and you're always asks about that, you know, you're, you're gonna get at least one question on your exam about Fair Credit Reporting Act, right? So let's come here. So we said that the Fair Credit Reporting Act was, um, you know, was um, created or passed or, you know, whatever you call it, or was um, enacted into law, you know, right? Um, in 1970. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you need to know the year, uh, probably they won't test you on the year, but I mean, it won't hurt to know. So it was, uh, it was enacted in a law in 1970. It's a federal law. It protects consumers. How does it protect consumers? It protects consumers by giving consumers certain rights. So, so number one, that right is saying that you as a consumer, you have you no, know, you, um, before anyone can pull any consumer related information on you, right? Like any consumer report or any any um, credit report. So before they can pull your credit, because some of us, you know, I mean, you should know by now, if you don't know, uh, you know, someone once said, you know, you know, a wise man from New York once said that if you don't know now, you know. <laughs> I... <laughs> if you don't know now, you know. But, now you but, know. Yeah. But, um, no, so, 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 the thing is, um, some some companies out there, you know, and, and they started doing this about things seven, eight years ago. Now it's very common. So, um, most companies now will run a credit report, uh, you know, on you, right? Which I don't agree with. I think it's crazy because if the person has good credit, you know, they probably would not, you know, want a job, you no, know, you no. Know, if their credit is messed up, that means they can't pay their bills and, and they need a job. So you can't penalize someone for that. But anyway, so 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 most jobs run credit, uh, no background check, no credit report. They're not uh -huh. just looking at your background check, but they want to know if you can pay your bills and all of that stuff. So uh -huh. the, the, the Fair Credit Reporting Act just says it gives you, the consumer, the right. Like, number one, if you are going to pull my credit report, number one, you must seek my authorization, right? So, um, so it, it, you know, it, you know, it requires 
companies and you know, businesses and anybody who wants access to my credit information or my consumer report to first get a written authorization from me, right? Uh, and it was sometimes that can be verbal, right? But they must get my um, authorization. Number two, I have the right to decline that, you know, uh, decline, you know, that request. So just mm -hmm. because they ask me doesn't mean that uh, I'm compelled to, you know, to, to say yes. So, uh, I, I mean, we, you know, we see this all the time. You go to apply for something, they say, oh, we're going to run your credit report. And I'm like, nope. I don't want you to, uh, no, uh, no, I don't want you to mess with my credit. So no, uh, I'm good, right? So you have the right to decline. Now, the other right they give consumers is that sometimes we know that um, there are incorrect information on, on, people's, um, on people's credit report, right? So uh -huh. they, may, they may put the wrong information there and say, oh, you didn't pay your bills when you, when you pay your bills. So it gives you, the consumer, the right to know what is in your credit report, right? right. A, a very good example of this, if you don't know, again, this is not just for prepare, uh, preparing, but, you know, I, like I also use this because all of us, you know, all of you listening on the podcast or may spam, hopefully in the next few weeks, you know, you're going to become a licensed financial professional, right? So this is what you want to tell your clients that because of the Fair Credit Reporting Act, you know, they also have the right to a free annual credit report, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it, you'll be surprised that a lot of people don't know this, right? But you have the right to know what's in your credit report. So, so the government say, okay, you have the right to know what's in your report. Now, if you discover any inaccuracies in your report, the Fair Credit Reporting Act also gives you the right to to you know, to contact the you know, you know, the agency or the bureau that put that together to have them correct it. So also gives the right to have any incorrect information know about you corrected. Wow. That is the fair credit reporting act. So it's not something to to memorize per se, but but you just you just have to know some key points. Um, number one, it's a federal um, law. Number two, it protects consumers. Um, no, uh, by no by by limiting or by by giving them the right to give their permission. Um, or to decline request to get their their, their consumer report, and um, and it also establishes penalties for for companies or individuals who who, who inappropriately access someone's uh, no um, no um, consumer report. Right now, the you no know, like the consumer report includes a lot of things. So the Fair Credit Reporting Act it covers consumer reports. It covers. Um, um, you know, your credit report, it covers investigative consumer reports, okay? So, so let's, let's add that here to our list. The three things the Fair Credit Report covers are consumer reports, consumer reports, credit reports, and investigative. And we're going to get into the difference between a consumer report and, and, and an investigative consumer report. Um, no, there's a difference. We're gonna get into that later, investigative consumer report. Okay, so, 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 so those are the three things the Fair Credit Report covers. Oh, uh, say it one more time. 
Okay, so the three things are consumer reports, credit reports, and investigative consumer reports. Okay. Okay, so, so those are the three things. Um, now, well, let me, just, let me just touch on the difference between the uh, consumer report and the investigative consumer report. So, so the main difference is the investigative consumer report is that they actually get that report by, you know, by interviewing um, you know, people about you, right? So, so some, some, sometimes you apply for insurance and depending on the amount, if it's a very high amount of um, coverage you're applying for, for example, life insurance, right? Um, I know most companies start at about $2 million, right? So if you're applying for more than $2 million of coverage, right, they will, um, again, 99.9% uh, .9 of my clients get less than, less than um, $2 million of, of coverage, right? But there are some people, there are high net worth individuals who, for whatever reason, or maybe they want to get five or $10 million coverage for their business or for them, they'll, they'll, they'll apply for that, right? So most of the time, if it's more than $2 million, the you know, insurance company will order an investigative consumer report. So in, an investigative consumer report just means that they'll actually do an investigation. So they'll, you know, they'll, they'll um, hire, um, you know, uh, you know, a, a reporting agency or bureau to come and do background check on you, you know, to, you know, to come and talk to uh, people you know, like maybe coworkers or your neighbors about you, your behavior, your, you know, like your, your, your character, your habits and all, because the, the company is taking a, a, a huge risk on you. Like, <laughs> uh, I just, uh, uh, it was last year, um, I, I, I had one of my clients um, we, we put in a power uh, application for six million dollars um, coverage for her. Again, she's uh, she's a very wealthy individual, right? So we put in about six million dollar um, you know, application, you know, for life insurance. So, uh -huh. so the insurance company, you know, did a did an investigative consumer report. Cut long story short, they found out that there were some fishy things in her background. You know, like the way she was doing business was not strict. Some of the sources of her income were a little sketchy. So the insurance company denied her, right? So, so insurance companies will do investigative consumer reports. So investigative, just know when you say investigating, they're investigating you by actually talking to people. So they're, you know, they're talking to people. Whereas consumer reports, you know, is, is there. You can just access it um, electronically without having to talk to anyone, right? For example, uh, my credit report, right? If I want to get my credit report, I just go to whatever uh, credit karma or experience.com or whatever. Boom, within a few minutes, I download my credit report, right? But if it's an investigative consumer report, they actually have to go and talk to people. So all these three things, consumer reports, credit reports, and investigative consumer reports, they're all covered by the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Is there any difference in this consumer report and the credit report? Oh, perfect, perfect. So, uh, so, yeah, so you asked a very good question. So, so the consumer report, um, no, uh, so the consumer report will also include your credit, you no know, history, but it's more expensive. So the consumer report will take into account, you no, know, you know, like your hobbies and, uh, you know, and 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 and, and you no, know, and all of that. Whereas the credit report is just strictly credit. You no, know, can you pay your debts? You no, know, uh, you know, can you pay your bills on time? Are there, are there any bankruptcies? All of those things, right? So it's strictly credit. Whereas consumer report can 
it can include credit, but it also includes a little bit of your personal life. But the main difference between that and investigative consumer report is, you know, consumer report, they don't have to go to talk to anyone to get that information. It's already there. Um, you know, they just got to go and pull it. Okay, so a consumer report will consist of like medical history and all that kind of stuff. Uh, no, 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 no. No. Okay. Uh, so uh, you raise a very good point. Uh, we're we're going to get um, we're going to get into that. I think. Let me see here. Uh, since you asked, we'll just I'll just cover it now. So there's something called the Medical Information Bureau, right? So so the Medical Information Bureau covers. Um, look, so, so every time you go to your doctor's office, um, you know, to, you know, you know, to get medical care, right? Or anytime you go to your pharmacy to pick up prescriptions and you use your insurance, insurance companies will report all of that medical information to this. It's a centralized database. It's controlled by um, uh, insurance companies, right? Um, you know, it's a nonprofit, um, you know, um, corporations set up by insurance companies that, that you have all your medical information there. And sometimes you store your medical information for anywhere from 10 to 20 years, right? So, so all your medical information, and, and they have this on everybody in the United States. Anytime, okay. anytime you pay for um, a service using insurance, it's reported mm-hmm. to the Medical Information Bureau. And, and let's just touch on something else. And this is not for exam purposes, but again, I like to give real world um, examples uh, when I'm doing these things, because I'm also uh, preparing you to be a licensed, um, not, well, uh, not, to, not just a licensed agent, but, but an effective licensed agent, because you're gonna be helping families. So one of the things you wanna let your agents, you know, your clients know is never to lie on your application. Because everything about your health history is in the medical um, um, you know, information bureau report, right? It is there. So, so I just put in an application, you no, know, you know, just for a client, you know, she she lives in Maryland. When um, mm-hmm. I asked her, oh, do you have any medical history? Like in the last five years, have you done any surgeries? Are you on any prescriptions? She said, no, 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 I'm healthy. I know I have any medical issues, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Boom. Because you no, know, I don't. I don't know her. I'm just going by what she tells me. So right. they pull her medical. I submit her application. They, they pull her, you know, they pull her medical information, uh, you know, report and find out that she had a C-section. Right now, she may not think a C-section is considered surgery, but the insurance company considers a C-section surgery. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, so now they want more information on that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and or God, I guess she has some complications. So they want to know if those are resolved and stuff. So you always want to tell your clients to always say the truth, right? Especially when it comes to their medical history, because everything, if they use their insurance, is on your medical history report. So there is no reason if they got HIV or they got cancer or whatever, or their own prescription medications, let them tell you. Because if they tell you, if they didn't lie, and the insurance company finds out, then that kind of creates a little bit of distrust and it makes it uh, probably likely that the insurance company could deny them. So they should always say the truth. Um, okay. yeah, so, so that's the medical information. Um, you know, bureau report, you'll, you'll probably get a question on that on your exam. So for the medical bureau information report, uh, you know, there are a few things you need to know. Number one, it is a nonprofit entity. 
So it's non-profit, not-for-profit, non-profit. Number two, it is, um, it is um, owned and, and operated by insurance companies, right? And three, it is used to aid underwriting uh, for, uh, you know, for insurance policies, for both uh, life, uh, life and health insurance policies. Okay, number three, one more time. Uh, number three is used to aid, you know, um, you know, the, or used to you know, help you know, underwrite insurance uh, applications because now they use that information um, in that medical information bureau report to, to help to assess your risks. You know, like is this person, you know, is this, is this you know, a healthy person? So if your medical information bureau says you have cancer and all of that stuff, the insurance, most insurance companies will not cover someone who has cancer, right? They're required to be in remission for at least five years. So, so, so the insurance companies use uses what's, what's on the application and also compare that um, against the medical information report to, to check for any discrepancies. Okay. Okay, so, so, so those are the three things about the medical information. Now, while we're on that, you know, because uh, I'll just, when something comes up, I'll, you know, um, add that, just loop everything. So, um, so for the medical information bureau report, keep in mind that the, the, the insurer um, must, uh, must get um, you know, the written consent of the applicant or, 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 or the insurer to pull the medical information bureau reports. So the same way uh, um, insurance company is not allowed to pull your credit report or pull your consumer report without your consent, it's the same way with the medical um, information bureau report. So on, on the insurance application, and, um, and, and, and by the way, guys, uh, Miss Pam is, uh, you know, she's on the fence right now. She's considering whether she wants to join my team or she wants to go somewhere else. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, but, uh, but the thing is, you know, with the, with the medical information bureau report, you have to know that the insurance company must get your uh, approval. And, and when my new agents come on board, you know, that we will do a detailed training on how to um, 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 uh, be able to screen applicants. Because sometimes um, you're gonna have people who will intentionally lie on the application. You know, what are the ways to screen um, people who are lying? You know, for sometimes like, what's the way to catch people in the lie? Because the thing is, anytime the insurance company catches an applicant uh, in a lie, like they say one thing on the application, but they find out either through the investigative consumer report or through the um, medical information bureau report that they lie, then that actually kind of, cast a little sh doubt on you as the agent. Now, now if, uh, if you do that so many times, let's say you submit uh, 50 applications and 90% and, and of the, uh, of the um, information on those applications don't, uh, no, they don't match with what's in your consumer report or what's in your credit bureau report, then, then, that, then that leaves you in tricky work. Then, then now the insurance company starts to down like okay is this person really doing uh know uh, know their work right because you should be able to solicit the right information and that's why mm -hmm. insurance agents are also called field underwriters you no know, another synonym for agent 
is field underwriter. And what's the second single name for field agent? Well, we have, we have two other names for agents. There are a few underwriters, and what's the second one? Uh, producers. Perfect, perfect. So yeah, uh, so so that's why insurance agents are called few underwriters because you are the first line of defense for the insurance agency, right? Uh, no, uh, for the insurance company, right? Is you have to be able to screen people. Um, and uh, no, no, we're still on your exam prep. No, but I'd like to weave it in with real life examples to make you to, uh, understand it better. Uh, it, so, you know, you, you always have people who use, no, not you have some people who use insurance to actually um, commit um, uh, crime or, or to launder money, right? So, so that's something, and we'll talk about that coming up shortly. It's called, um, that's why the US Federal, now the US Patriot Act uh, was passed, right? You have to right. use insurance, you no. Know, life insurance to actually launder money. You have gang members, you have um, criminals who have businesses, fronts, and they use insurance to launder money. So that's something you have to be a right for. And, and, and we have required training um, on my team. It's, it's, a, it's an annual training, it's mandatory, it's called anti-money laundering. But, but those are all things you have to screen for, right? Like I had a guy, I mean, uh, he's a very young guy, you know, in his mid-30s, and, you know, and he wanted to open a $10 million policy, which for someone in their mid-30s is kind of, it's not impossible, but it's, it is out of the ordinary. You don't have a lot of- um, suspects. Exactly. You don't have a lot of 35 <laughs> year olds. No, yeah, you know, he, he's single, doesn't have any kids, uh, and he wants a $10 million policy. So right there, it just raised my, uh, you know, it raised my, uh, no it, no, it just raised some red flags, right? right. So, oh, I got all this business and all these things. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about your business. Uh, he, he seems a little reluctant. Like, yeah, if you, if you say you're making all this money, you no, know, why right. you disclose the details of your business to me? Is that uh -huh. oh, you know, I got my funds overseas and I got to transfer it to this and this overseas bank? So there are just a lot of sketchy. Things. Yes. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So that is the job of a few underwriters. So right there, I was able to save the insurance company all the headache because I could have submitted to them. And sometimes the insurance companies, you know, they make mistakes, right? So sometimes mm -hmm. things will slip through the cracks, right? So they approve them. So you as the agent, you are a few underwriter. You are the first line of defense for the insurance agents, uh, not for the insurance company. So you have to be able to do your job. And again, when, you know, uh, when my new agents come on board, these are all things uh, you know, because part of it is about human psychology, uh, <laughs> be able to tell when, you know, be able to tell when people are lying and all those things. So we show you ways to screen that. So, so even though I was going to make a lot of money, if that had gone through, I, you know, where I made pretty close to, you know, to, to $30,000 in commission, but at the end of the day, you always want to do the right thing because nothing is worth you losing your license over no amount of money. Um, and that brings me to the next point. This, this will probably be on your exam. So, so uh, insurance agents are required to, or most companies will require them to have a liability insurance, right? And that liability insurance is called errors and omission. You want to write this down, errors and omissions. So just like doctors have um, know their malpractice insurance, um, most people in the healthcare um, field have malpractice insurance, right? Because we all know we're human beings, we make mistakes, right? Doctors make mistakes all the time, right? 
Uh, so, so by having that coverage, you know that if I make a mistake and, and someone comes and sues me, right? They're not gonna come after my personal money. No, the insurance company uh, know that, that provides that liability insurance, they will come in, cover my legal fees. If there are any monetary damages, they'll cover them. So it's the same thing with your errors and omissions coverage as an agent. Sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, how, what are you saying? Errors? Like uh, the... Errors errors, and omissions. Oh, errors. Yeah, errors. E-R-O-R-S. Errors right. and omissions, right? And omissions. So, yeah, so you you as the, you as the um, agent, um, and that's something that all my team members are required to have, right? Because uh, let's face it, all of us make mistakes. I mean, at least the good thing is I've been doing this for 12 years. Thank God I've not had anybody sue me yet and hopefully never. <laughs> but, yes, <laughs> I know that's right. Yeah, but it's, uh, no, but it's always good to have it. So you just need to know the errors and omission, um, know, and know that, you know, that covers um, licensed insurance agents. Uh, and most insurance um, companies will require that for all their agents. So that just covers you in case it's a lawsuit and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, so let's, um, so, so now oh, let's get back to the Fair, Fair Credit Reporting Act. So, so one thing you also got to know is um, what are the penalties for violating uh, the Fair Credit Reporting Act? So, so, so very important here. So, um, so if now, um, so, so these are terms you need to know. Let me come here. Uh, I don't know. You can see this, right? So yeah, I'll just draw an arrow here. We're gonna continue here. Okay. So, so now you have two types of violations. You have something called unknowingly, right? So you, yeah, you, you know, you, um, you know, you, you violated the law, but you know, <laughs> you didn't know, right? So if you unknowingly, because sometimes you, you know, sometimes you commit a crime of even knowing it's a crime, right? So, um, so if you unknowingly violate the, uh, no, no, the, uh, the Fair Credit um, Reporting Act, then, um, no, then the penalty for that will be you'll be liable for any loss that that person um, incur as a result of the violation. You you'll be um, liable for that loss um, as well as any. Um, legal fees incurred in the process, right? So, 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 unknowing violations uh, will be um, responsible for loss. And this is when you talk about loss, it's financial loss. It's, no, it's measured. So, responsible for financial loss and attorney fees. Okay, so now the other thing now, if you knowing it, this one is that they'll use the word knowingly or they'll use the word intentionally, it all means the same, right? So if you knowingly or intentionally violate the Fair Credit Reporting Act, then the penalty, yeah, well, they'll the, the assess you um, financial, uh, financial penalties, right? 
So if you know any, well, the first violation is if you know any obtain, um, um, intentionally obtain uh, um, information on the consumer, right, under false pretenses, right? So yeah, we put under false pretenses. So if you know any guy information about the client under false pretenses, you'll be, um, uh, you may be fined and that dollar amount varies. You may be fined and or, the key word is and or. So depending on the severity, they may do both and or in prison for two years or up to two years. In prison for up to two years. So now, uh, let's 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 stay on that. You may also, if you under that woeful, you may be fined, right? Um, you may be fined up to two thousand five hundred per violation. Okay, so you may be fined up to two thousand five hundred per violation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. That's up to yeah uh, yeah um up to two thousand five hundred per violation of the fair credit reporting act. Mm. All right um now the, the fair credit reporting act is a little expensive so I'm going to spend some time on here because they may you may have questions from many different areas right so now the other thing under the fair credit reporting act is that, as I said earlier, the, the consumer has a right to know what's in a report and they have a right to have the agency that compiled that report to make any um, corrections to wrong information, right? So, um, so if, if you, um, so they cannot issue that report, right? unless the consumer is advised, and, and these are key terms, okay? Uh, no, these are three uh, key, key dates. So the uh, consumer has to be advised in writing about the report, like, hey, I may spam, you know, we're, we're gonna get a uh, consumer report on you. They have to be advised in writing about the report within three days. The key word is three days. Now, you have three and five days. You have to know this, I guess, a little tricky. Within three days, of the date requested. So let's break this down. So let's say Ms. Spam um, applies for $500,000 coverage today. And the insurance company um, um, request the, um, no, the insurance company request the consumer report, um, no, um, Today is what? Um, today is Sunday. So the insurance company requests the consumer report um, on Tuesday or, or, or Wednesday. So this is saying that within three days, right? Um, within three days, the consumer has to be, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, this is for investigative. Now, let me, let me separate this. I don't want to confuse you, okay? So this is for investigative consumer reports, investigative. And investigative consumer reports, okay? So now, 
Within three days um, of the date that the insurance company requests that investigative consumer report, they have to inform you. So that's three days before the request is actually done. I mean, uh, the consumer report is done. Exactly. Okay. Okay, so, so three days. Now, the next thing is the consumer must be advised, you know, that they have the right to request additional information now. So the consumer, um, you know, the, the insurance company, right, or, or, or the reporting agency has five days. So we have two key days here. For, when it comes to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, we have um, two key days, three days and five days. So so if, if let's say um, you get your consumer report, you know, your investigative consumer report, and you're like, mm, uh, no, there's, uh, no, no, there's something wrong with this. Um, I want additional information. This is saying that the insurance company, because they, they order it, right? So the insurance company or the, or, or the company that issued it or, or the um, reporting agency has five days, right? to provide that additional information you requested. So five days to provide additional information. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, um, I know my handwriting is a mess. It looks like chicken scratching, I don't know. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so you have three days and five days. And, and again, as we go through the questions, you know, we we'll come across uh, you know, some questions about this. Um, so, okay, so, so I'll, I'll stop here. Uh, and this, uh, what, and, what, what questions and, do you have on Consumer uh, on Fair Credit Reporting Act? So this last one here, uh, you said that the, the one you gave before it about um, consumer must be advised within three days of the consumer report consumer um, credit report, um, that was just for the investigator. Okay, yeah. So, so, so the, the five days, is that for all of it, all of them? Uh, uh, let's see. No, apply to so, all three? No, the five days is just for the uh, investigative consumer report. Oh, that, the, okay, that as well, okay. And what other additional information could, like, what other additional information could they possibly even want, like request about? Uh, sometimes, like let's say, if they say, you know, you order an investigative consumer report and then maybe the report says, oh, uh, Ms. Pam, okay, so let's say Ms. Pam, you know, you, know, you apply for $5 million coverage, you know, and let's say, you know, you're boiling a few years from now, you're making a lot of money and you want to get, <laughs> Maybe you're making four or five hundred thousand a year. And you want to get five, five million dollars of coverage, right? So, so now you apply for insurance. Now they go and do the investigative report, and then true, you know, they come and talk to your neighbors, and co-workers, and and some people say, oh, Miss Pam, oh, that woman is an alcoholic. She's a junk. She's a gambler. All of that, and then you see that on your report, like what? Mm, okay, I'm an alcoholic. Come on, these are all lies. Now, now it's within your right to get more information. Who told you all of this? No, how did you get all this information? It's okay. Got it. All right. 
So, so the five days and the three days, and you know, and and and, and we're going to come back to that. So, so let me just uh, repeat this because it's very key that you. <clears throat> it's very important that you understand the difference between the three and five days. So the three days is the most, uh, you know, the cons the consumer must be advised. No, I'm sorry. Uh, the um, unlike consumer reports. Right, the investigative consumer, uh, the investigative consumer report cannot. Okay, the keywords cannot be made unless the the consumer is advised in writing about the report within three days of the uh, of the date the report was requested. So, 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 um, no. So, I have to advise you within three days of me requesting the report, not not getting the report, because for investigative consumer reports, you know, sometimes it takes uh, it takes days or sometimes weeks to get that report, right? Because they actually got to go out there and do investigation. So they're saying that I must advise you. Okay, let me even break this down further because it's very key for you to understand. So let's say, um, um, no, um, what's a popular insurance company? Okay, let's say State Farm, you apply for life insurance with State Farm and State Farm wants to do an investigative consumer report on you, right? And let's say State Farm um, um, contacts um, um, ABC um, 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 consumer reporting agency, right? You no, know, they say, okay, uh, you know, this lady, she applied for $5 million coverage. She wanted to do a, cons uh, a uh, investigative consumer report on her, right? So, so within three days of them making that request, not, not getting the, uh, the report, but within three days of making that request, they must get your permission in writing. And, and if you say no, then it gives them time to go back and you no, know, and, and then and then cancel that um, order, right? So, so, so let's say um, today is Sunday, and 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 they order that investigative report. So, so that means they have um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday between um, Sunday and Wednesday. They must inform you, like, hey, Miss Pam, we've we've ordered a um, um, an investigative consumer report on you. Are you okay with it? Right. And if mm -hmm. you say no, they can go back and cancel that. Right. Okay? All right. But now, if you find any problem with that report, right, after the report comes up, and you find any problems and, or you want additional information, then the insurance company or the company that, that did the investigation has five days to provide uh, that information you requested. And if they don't um, provide you with it, Provide that within five days, they're in violation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on the Fair Credit Reporting Act because, again, this, um, this will 100% be on your exam. So, you know, there are certain four topics that will be on your exam no matter what. So, for those ones, I'll, you know, it may seem like I'm kind of, you know, beating a dead horse, but I try to <laughs> go as, as little as possible, okay? Now, so here's the other thing about Fair Credit Reporting Act. No, we're still on the Fair Credit Reporting Act, right? So now, um, if you discover any 
negative information, right? Um, that is incorrect, right? Um, um, in your consumer report, right? If you discover any negative information in your consumer report, right? Then you also have the right to get that corrected. So, you mean as an agent? Uh, oh no, no, the no, oh the, the consumer, the, the, yeah, the right. okay. yeah. The, so the reporting agency has to correct that. So, so the um, so the reporting agency has to send the corrected information, right? Uh, it, it has to send that um, the corrected information to all parties. Um, no, that is including you, anybody involved. Um, no, to the to the correct address within the last two years. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so the, yeah, so the, the the mail you the corrected information uh, within um, within two years. So 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 keep in mind, you know, it gets confusing. If if you want additional information, they have five days to provide that. Now, if you see any any um, inconsistencies or any incorrect stuff that you want them to correct right then then they can also you know provide that you know they can also mail that to your known um address um within the last few years uh is that confusing uh is that something you understand hey, again uh, it gets a little a little tricky with this but but the questions will help to uh, to clarify all right so let's let's move on from the consumer report, um, and let's let's come here to this question. I just want to cover that. Um, what else did I want to cover? Okay, so we've, we've covered consumer reports in depth, and we covered insurable interest yesterday. So, in your own words, tell me what is insurable interest. Um, that is when. Um, there has to be a loss, like um, for the insurable interest, it's like a loss. You have to, the person that you have insurance on, there has to be a loss there. So, so, so insurable interest just means that anytime the insurer and, 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 the, and the applicant are different, right? Because the applicant is the one who's applying for an insurance policy, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the insured is the person on whose life that application is based, right? It's the person who must die before the insurance can pay any claims, right? Right. Uh, for life insurance policies. So most of the time, the insured is the same as the applicant. For example, I want to get life insurance myself, so I'm going to apply for life insurance, right? Now, right. anytime, anytime there's, um, anytime the insured, right? Um, no, anytime the insured and the applicant are different, mm -hmm. right? You know, they're not the same individuals. Uh, that is called third party ownership, right? We'll talk about that. Uh, that means a third party, someone other than you is applying mm -hmm. for the policy and owns the policy. So, uh, examples of third party ownerships are you no know, like um, 
parent getting insurance on their child or child getting insurance on their parent. An uh, example of that also is spouses. Um, your spouse getting insurance on you or you getting insurance on your spouse or business partners getting insurance on each other. So those are the three most common examples of third-party ownerships of life insurance. Now, another example of third-party ownership of life insurance, and we talked about this yesterday, would be uh, uh, stranger-owned um, life insurance policies, right? So a stranger yes. buys your life insurance policy and they gave you a portion of their benefit up front, um, no, uh, and, and, they, and they pay you that with the, with the expectation that when you die, they will get you know, the rest of the money. Okay, so that is um, uh, now. In in order for a third party to have life insurance on your life, because no no less, no no, I will uh, try to keep this real, right? So we know that people kill people for life insurance money. I mean, it's it's it's, it's sad, but it's a fact, right? Husbands, yes. kill, you know, spouses kill each other for life insurance, uh, you no know, money. Parents kill um, children, children kill parents, business partners kill each other. I mean, it's, it's the fact of, you know. So one of the things the insurance companies came up with is, and they, and they passed the law to make sure, you know, to decrease that is to say that if you must get insurance on someone else, you must have uh, an insurable interest in that person. You must, have, uh, you must have an interest in that person living, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That means that you, you must tend to lose something when that person dies. Either you may tend to suffer financial loss, right? For example, business partners. If I'm in business with someone and that person dies, it's going to negatively affect the business, right? So it's in my interest for that person to live. Uh, if I'm, I'm a parent, well, I wouldn't want to kill my child. Now, you have some sick people out there who will kill their children, but just generally speaking, Parents don't want to kill their children, right? So now, because if you if your child dies, you will suffer emotional loss, right? And uh, and vice versa. If a if a if a if a parent dies, a child will suffer emotional loss and financial loss because now who will support them, right? So so that is what insurable interest means. It means that you must tend to lose something if the insurer dies. Either emotional loss, the two key terms are emotional loss and financial, financial loss. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and, and this is, uh, you know, while we're on this, this is um, just a teaching moment. Uh, there's a sad stats out there, I forgot um, 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 which, which um, you know, institution put this out. But there's, there's a sad um, statistics out there that single parent households, uh, no, that single uh, single income households, that when that when the breadwinner dies, the family falls um, into poverty within seven years. Mm. So again, you no, know, when my new agents come on board, you no, know, I, I teach them all these things because because you know, as an agent, you have to know, you have to be able to push the right buttons because you know if you want to sell effectively, you have to appeal to people's emotions. And you have to know, um, know, you have to appeal to their emotions and your fears at the same time, right? 
and, and, and this is a real fact, right? So you as a licensed agent, you know, in the next few weeks, hopefully, um, if, if you do all the right thing, miss, miss Pam, in the next few weeks, you'll be a licensed financial uh, <laughs> uh, uh, agent, right? So this is something you want to tell people, like you, you see um, single parents, like, oh, I don't need life insurance. What will happen to your child? Uh-huh. You, are the, you won't take care of that child. You are the only, no, there's not like a two-parent household. What will happen to that child or those children? Sometimes you have someone, you're a single parent, they have three, four kids, young kids. Right. What will happen right. to those kids when you die? Uh-huh. Right? Or you have like um, one of the guys I'm helping um, from Washington State. Yeah, you know, it's a single income household. His wife is a stay-at-home mom. He has five kids. What will happen to him or what will happen to that family if he dies, right? Mm-hmm. So this is something you got to know. You got to tell your uh, your, your um, potential clients that, you know, within seven years of the um, breadwinner dying, you know, 93% of families will fall into poverty and life insurance will help to prevent that. And for as little as even $50 or term policy, it can help to prevent that, right? So, right. so for example, if 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 the wife you no know, um, gets insurance, you no know, if if the if the wife gets insurance on the husband, you no, know, in that case, it's it's understandable. There's insurable interest because hey, if my husband dies, guess what? Uh, you no, know, me and the five kids were going to fall into poverty. Right, so mm-hmm. it's understandable she has an insurable interest. So insurable right. interest just means that you stand to do something either emotionally or financially uh, when someone dies, and that relationship must exist um, at what time? At the beginning of the um, of the contract. Okay, perfect. So now that is the most correct answer. It must exist no, not not at the beginning of the contract. Because the contract is after it has been approved. It must exist at the time application. of application. Okay? Yes. Because it is not a contract yet if it's not right. approved, right? So it must be approved at the time of application. Right. Now, so that is the, um, remember I told you a few minutes ago that um, on the exam, sometimes you have two or three correct answers and you got to select the most correct answer, right? Mm-hmm. So, so uh, it existing at the time of application is the most correct answer. But if you don't see that, and the next uh, best answer uh, will be at the time, um, no, at the time, um, no, the contract goes into effect. That is also correct. All right. Insurable interest must also exist at that time. Now, the third thing to know about insurable interest is insurable interest. Uh, I'm getting feedback. I don't know if it's my end or your end. Um, I haven't done anything different. I don't know. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's probably, it's probably my end year. Okay. So, so we know that, um, the, the third thing to keep in mind is insurable interest. And, and you want to write this down. Um, this is a testable question. Insurable interest does not need to exist throughout, um, no, um, the duration of the policy. It just needs to exist at the time of application, application. or mm-hmm. when the application is approved or when it, when, it, when the contract, um, no, or when the policy is issued. 
That is it. Because wow. I'll, 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 I'm, I'm going to give you a very good example. So let's say you have two, you know, um, let's say you have you have a um, couple, right? And and that time they were mad and in love uh, with each other, you know, and oh, honey, this is, you know, we'll live happily ever after and, and they file for divorce, right? Well, at the time, they were together, there was insurable interest because they were in love and you know, maybe they were sharing bank accounts, sharing bills. So if, if, if one, one couple died, you know, the other couple was gonna suffer, right? So, so there was insurable interest there. But now, you know, they are divorced. They don't have any kids together, you know, and all of them move on with their lives. So there's no more insurable interest, right? But right. even though there's no insurable interest, the insurance company doesn't Care because at the time they applied for that policy, and at the time the policy was issued, there was insurable interest. So insurable interest does not have to exist, um, no, for the entire duration of the policy. It only has to exist either at the time of application or when the policy is approved and issued. Um, so, so on the exam, um, it, it, again, we'll, 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 we'll come over, uh, we'll come across some questions. So you just have to know that by insurable interest. Now, while we're on insurable interest, um, because I tell people as an agent, it comes back to you as an agent being a few underwriter. You have to be able to be able to pick up a lot of things when you're helping clients and prevent a lot of situations. So one of the things you want to do going forward um, when you become a licensed agent, and, um, and, and I'm pretty sure you will become um, sometime this month. Uh, and, and, and when you get that license, uh, you know, I, I want you to take a picture of it and send it to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, but, yeah but, um, but when you, when you become a licensed um, agent, you have, to be, you have to watch out for certain things, certain rare flags. And one of the things you know, we, we, we know that there is um, domestic violence in America. Well, not just America, but it's everywhere, right? Um, domestic violence and all of that stuff. So sometimes some couples, um, you know, and most of the time, again, not to sound, I don't know, maybe people may take it sexist or whatever, but sometimes most of the time, you know, the, the, the person who is um, committing the domestic violence is the, is the male, right? So... Mm -hmm. So we know that sometimes people in domestic violence are forced to do things that they don't necessarily want to do. So when you are taking an insurance application for a couple, a life insurance application, because we know people kill people for life insurance proceeds. I mean, it's a, it's a common fact, you know? Mm -hmm. you, you always, if a couple applies for insurance and, you know, and one of the couples is the, you know, like the third party ownership where one of the couples is the... Um, applicant and other in the show, you always want to make sure you talk to them separately. Oh, don't, okay. don't do it together. Never, never, never. Even if they insist to do it together, you know, as an agent, you know, you just come up with some excuses, you know, and when you, when you come on board, you know, we'll, we'll train you on how, you know, what to say to, you know, to get yourself out of that, right? But you all, you know, you, you always don't want to do that. But sometimes maybe Maybe, and, and, and most of the time it's the female, not always, but most of the time it's the female. Um, uh, so, yeah, so, so, so maybe that woman is, uh, you know, she's, yeah, she's maybe um, 
afraid. She, you know, she doesn't want, you know, to be the insured on the policy because she's maybe afraid her husband may kill her or something. But she's afraid to say that in front of him because you have two of them sitting in front of you or you have them on Zoom. So she's going to be afraid to say it, right? But if you have a one-on-one, she's going to be able to open up and, and there are indirect questions you can ask to kind of sense all those things, right? But if you suspect any kind of domestic violence or you find that someone is insured and you're trying to get a policy under, you know, um, you know um, like, no, under pressure or no, they don't really want to, but they've been forced to as an agent. It is your ethical, uh, no uh, responsibility to not proceed with that application. Because if you go ahead and put that and it gets approved, now you just put someone's lives at risk where now, I mean, no, the, in this case, the abuser, um, no, has, no, has a reason to kill that person. And that would be your fault. And this is where, again, come back to error and omission. God forbid that happens. You don't pick it up. It happens. But you have that liability insurance that covers you. Okay? So so, so those are some things there. So, but that, that covers insurable interest. Now, let's let's move on here. Uh, let's get back to the question. So, so we've covered insurable interest. We check that off. And, um, uh, okay, we'll... We'll come back to some of those items on the exam checklist. Okay, so let's let's come back here to our um, let's come back to our questions. So this question you got wrong, and let's read this question together. Uh, let me let me pull it up. You can see my screen, right? Okay, uh, you you see my screen. Uh, you're you're muted. Hello. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good. All right. So yeah, so uh, yeah, let's just move on to the questions. So we're gonna go back and forth between the exam outline and um, and the questions. All right. So let's look at this question. Uh, you 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 can see my screen. No. Oh, you can see my screen. No. Uh, you can see, you can see the question. Right, I can't see it. Okay, let me stop my share and try again. Okay, um, are you seeing okay. it now? Yes, I'm seeing it now. Okay, cool. All right. So it says, um, uh, you chooses a monthly premium payment more on his whole life um, policy. Uh, which of these statements is correct? Uh, oh, perfect, perfect. All right. So I, I, I know, and let's get to that. Uh, so A says the gross premium is higher on a monthly payment more as compared to being paid annually. The gross premium is lower on a monthly payment more as compared to being paid annually. C says the cash value from a uh, life policy paid on a monthly basis builds quicker than one pay on an annual basis. And D says the... Uh, the face amount of the life policy paid on a monthly basis is higher than paid on, the, um, on an annual basis. So this one question covers a whole lot of things. Number one, you no, know, it covers mode of premium payments. It covers um, you no know, everything. So let's let's go into detail. I won't I won't limit my explanation to just that uh, to just that question. So we're going to 
um, cover on that. So if you get any questions, similar to that, you will be able to pass it. So number one, what is premium mode? Okay, premium mode. Premium, uh, what is mode of payment? So this, you, may, you see a call, they may say mode of payment um, or premium mode, but all of them refer to how frequently you pay your premium. Right. Yeah. How frequently you pay your premium. That is it. So now you have four premium modes. You have monthly. You have quarterly. So quarterly means every three months, right? You have quarterly. You have semi-annually or it may say every six months. So semi, yeah, semi-annually or every six months. Or every six months. And then you have um, annual. Uh, another name for annual is every year. No, it means the same. So those are the four different frequencies you have to pay your life insurance um, premium, right? Now, well, there's another one you can you can pay a one-time you know, you know, premium to just pay for your life insurance for life you know, with a single premium, right? So technically five. All right. So... What you have to know for premium payments is that every time you, you make your insurance uh, payment, right, you, you pay your premiums, someone has to process that, that payment, right? Someone in, at the insurance company's um, office has to take that, you know, let's say you mail your premium payment in or whatever you do electronic. Uh, it's, it's, it's your stuff on last time getting feedback. I don't know. Um, let's see here. I don't know what's the reason for that. I don't know either. It, well, it was fine until now. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Well, we'll just go ahead. I don't know what the cost of that. All right. Um, want me to put one minute to mute it until? Uh, is this on your cell phone or your laptop? On my laptop, well, my desktop, really. Oh, oh on your desktop. Um, um, okay. Um, is that where you could put headphones in? Um, maybe that will take care of it. Um, you have, you have headphones? No, no, I don't have any. You have headphones? Okay. Um, yes. 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 I'll say you can just mute, and then if you need to talk, you can unmute. But uh, the feedback is uh, bad. All right. So, 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 yeah, you have um, these these four um, mode of premium payment again. So, know that mode is the same as frequency. Okay. So, on the exam, you may say mode of premium payment or or frequency of payment. Premium payment is all the same. Okay. So now, keep in mind that every time you make your insurance um, premium payment someone has to process your payment, right? So the insurance company has to spend money. You no, know, that's hours, you no know, uh, time spent because they got to pay someone to process that. You no, know, most of them are working on an hourly basis. So the insurance company, you know, spends money. Someone has to process your payment. Someone has to enter in the system. Someone has to credit. You no, know, it, it's a lot of, you no, know, you have a lot of hands that have to touch that, right? So it's costing the insurance company money to pay those people to do all of those things. That's the first thing. Number two, when you make monthly payments, the insurance company doesn't have 
all your premium pay and your premium for the year to invest. Because what people don't know is that insurance company just doesn't take your premium and just wrap it up um, no, um, no, under a mattress or, or just lock it up, right? So the insurance company will take um, a portion of that um, payment that you made and, and they're going to reinvest that, right? Because that is how they can afford to pay a debt benefit. Because I mean, think about it. You let's say you got a policy and you're paying hundred dollars a month and it's a you know two hundred and fifty thousand dollars policy. So the insurance company that is not anything, right? So they have to reinvest. Uh, you know they have to invest that money. You pay them a portion of it uh, for them to be able to get return on it. Um, that is how the insurance company makes money, and that's how they are able to afford to um, be able to pay their benefits. So now. For that reason, oh, and, and 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 even before I get to that, so anytime you make your premium payment, right? So so your premium payment will always be divided, you know, well, um, cost of insurance. So it's COI, cost of insurance, just a brief it there. Um, it will be divided in the cost of insurance plus, um, you no. Know, no, the no. So, so cost of insurance plus um, plus your actual um, insurance premium, uh, plus the actual premium, right? Now, if it's a, a permanent policy, you there will be cost of insurance plus savings. Exactly, because uh, a, a a a permanent policy will have for cash value where a portion of your payments go into a savings account, right? So now, all you got to know is your premium payment is not 100% going um, towards your life insurance, right? Some of that got to go towards the insurance company paying your bills. You no, know, they have to pay the bills, they have to pay employees, all of that, you no, know, um, these are insurance company expenses. So the, the cost of doing um, insurance. And then a portion of that money gets invested for the insurance to be able to, you know, so that's that's that is what the premium goes to. Now you have you have different you no, know, what you have um, two types of premium. Okay, and and this this is this is a handful of a question because it, it covers so many things. There there are so many things you have to understand to be able to answer this question correctly. So so premium we have you know two types of premium. We have gross premium. So when you think about gross premium, think about um, like for example, when they say your gross your gross income, right? Well, your gross income is the total income, no, um, no that you have. So Uncle Sam has not taken his cut yet, right? So it includes your pre-tax, no, everything is there, right? So the gross premium. So so this may ask you on on the exam, they may ask you which are the following. Um, um, types of premiums to you know do clients pay a gross premium b net premium all of that but your but your gross premium is just your actual premium payment so that's your actual premium before the cost of insurance everything comes up so that's your actual premium payment so in, um, uh, clients always pay gross premium now your net premium will be your your premium or your gross premium minus the cost of insurance. 
Okay, so there'll be your actual premium minus the cost of insurance. So the net premium is what's actually going towards funding your life insurance policy. So, so let's just say you have a whole life policy, right? And this question asks about whole life. So let's say may spend, you know, your premium is $100 a month, but you say, okay, you know what? Uh, the insurance company say, okay, out of this $100, so $100 is what you pay every month, right? But we want to um, maybe... Um, $20 is going to go towards our cost of insurance, right? So that is to pay someone or, or, or you know, the insurance company has to pay the bill. So $20 goes towards the cost of insurance. So only $80 is actually going towards funding um, their actual life insurance policy. So your net premium will be this $80. So on the exam, they will give you different scenarios. And again, we're going to come across those questions because we still got about maybe three to 400 questions to go. So we're going to come across all of that, right? But your net premium will be the $80, right? Because the net premium is, is the premium the insurance company gets to fund your life insurance policy after the expenses. And your gross premium will be this $100. So what clients pay is the gross premium, okay? Clients always pay the gross, will always pay a gross premium. The net premium is what the insurance company actually receives to fund your insurance policy. So gross premium, and this talked about gross premium. So 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 now you understand uh, no um, uh, gross premium. Now, so let's let's get back here to the mode of uh, premium payment. So with that in mind, you know again if you want to memorize this or understand it, but it's key. It will probably be on your exam, right? So, so the higher, the higher, no, just a higher frequency or higher payment frequency, higher payment frequency equals higher gross, um, no, equals higher gross premium. And lower, Lower premium frequency. No, no, I'm sorry. Um, higher premium frequency. There's an inverse relationship. So higher. Uh, no, no, that's that's um, no, that's correct. Higher premium frequency equals higher gross premium, and lower premium frequency equals lower gross premium. So what that means, someone who pays, um, someone who pays, um, uh, let's say, uh, someone who pays an annual premium, right? Someone who pays an annual premium will end up paying, uh, you know, will end up paying um, um, more uh, less insurance premium because why? Because now in, in, instead of uh, the insurance company have to pay people every month to handle that premium payment. Now they only got to pay people once a year and the insurance company has all of that premium up front, right? This 100 times 12 is um, 1,002, right? So in, in, in your example, the insurance company has 1,002 where they can be able to invest. So now the insurance company has that huge part of money where they can invest up front, right? So, so uh, let, me, let me stop here to just see if you have um, any questions. So just keep in mind, so for example, the gross premium for a monthly um, um, 
know, the gross premium will be higher on the monthly policy, uh, monthly premium payment than, than, than on a quarterly premium um, uh, payment plan. And a quarterly premium payment will be higher. The gross premium will be higher than for a monthly. This is why you always want to tell your clients that if they have, if they can afford it, for them to always pay, you know, maybe once yearly premium. No, no, and, and let's break this down even further. This is why when you go to a store, right? Um, if you do payment plans, right? Um, like you do payment plans, you say, okay, you know what? Um, I don't have money, but I want to pay this in four installments. You're gonna end up paying more money because the insurance company, you know, well, uh, like um, um, I know PayPal has this thing. And by the way, I'm not advertising for PayPal, but I'm just <laughs> using this as an example, right? But, but PayPal has this thing where if you want to purchase something online and you don't have to afford, pay, um, you can't afford to pay up from, right? Then they, will, they have the full um, paying full um, program, right? Where you can pay over four in, uh, installments. But let's say that product you're trying to get is $100, right? So if you pay up front, you'll just pay $100. But now, if if I can I afford it and I want to pay, let's say, um, you no, know, every three months or every month, pay uh, twenty five dollars. The insurance, you no, know, the the company will not just charge me twenty five dollars. They'll know they'll add a little extra there, right? So maybe instead of paying twenty five bucks a month, I may end up paying thirty bucks a month. So I may end up paying twenty dollars extra in total compared to this person who just pay upfront. So, so that kind of helps you to understand. That's why when you're doing an application, they're going to ask the, the client for the mode of uh, premium payment. They're going to ask you, uh, they're going to ask the client on the application, what mode of premium payment do you want? Your monthly stuff. So if the person pay monthly, they'll end up paying a little bit more than say if they're paying yearly. Um, so the correct answer here would be C, the gross premium is higher on a monthly payment as compared to being paid annually. Let me stop here and see if you have any questions. No, I, I understand it now. Okay. And 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 I'm and I'm sorry if you, you know, and sometimes <laughs> uh, explaining in detail is good, but sometimes I tend to over-explain. So if I'm over-explaining and you and you kind of get it, just you know, just let me know we can move on. All right. So, 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 we, so right here, we come back here to the, come back here to your exam stuff, your exam outline. So now we can cover uh, premium payment, we cover modes, right? So now we can check this off, modes of premium payment. Now, uh, while we're still, uh, while we're still on premium payments, um, under this, this is, um, no section two B seven. So we're on a premium payments. Let's just cover everything. All right. So now when you are um, paying your premiums, there's something called grace period. Grace period. What does that mean? Grace period. So, so your grace period just means that it's the, uh, you know, because the company is offering you grace, right? So, so a good example is, um, you know, all of us have been tenants um, at some point, right? So, so let's say your, your rent is due on the first of the month, but for whatever reason, maybe things are tough, you don't have your payment. You no, know, your, your landlord will be like, okay, you know what? I'll give you a five-day grace period, right? You no, know? so that five-day grace period is what I'll give you 
Um, yeah, uh, you're going to pay some late fees, but I'll give you that five-day grace period where now I'm not going to kick you out. Or some people will give 10 or 20 days grace period, whatever, right? But the grace period is that those extra days that your landlord will give you where you can still be late and still live in the house without being kicked out. So the same thing with insurance policies, right? Uh, in this case, life insurance policies. All life insurance policies by law must have a grace period. Right. So in the state of Georgia, what is the grace period for life insurance? Policies? Ten days. Mm, no, no for, for life insurance policies. So 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 and now people confuse the grace period with the free look period. Right. Again. Oh, yeah. So so the free look period and saying you said 10 days and no, we're going to get to that later. Yeah, yes. this is also on section B. The free look period is just your refund period. So right. if you go to the store and you buy something, you don't like it, some stores will give you 30 days or 90 days where you can carry back, no questions asked and get your money, right? So the free look period insurance is that period where you have to, you have those amount of days, this number of days to return your policy. Uh, no questions asked and get your um, get your money back. So the free look period for life insurance is 10 days. So, so 10 days is for free look period. The grace period, some states will do 30 days or, 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 or 31 days. Uh, no work, no work. work, work. Uh-huh. I believe it's 30 days, right, for Perfect. Georgia. Yeah, for Georgia, it's, it's 30 days, right? So, so, so that means that you can still be late on your um, on your policy on your insurance premium payment for thirty days, right? And the and insurance by law cannot um, terminate your policy for at least thirty days. So they give you thirty days to make that payment. So that's grace period. All right. So so we can check that one off the list here. Grace period. And, and guys, uh, listening on the podcast, uh, this is um, a one on one. Um, uh, training you know, for, for those of you who want that hands-on training one-on-one where I customize the training to fit your needs. Uh, you can also contact me. You have my number. It's 202-855-6294. So you can call, text me, and um, if I'm available, we can schedule that. Okay. So yeah, I'm with Miss Penn. She has a Georgia... Um, insurance license schedule, um, license exam schedule in a few days. So uh, um, I think she should be ready in a few days to pass her exam. So we're just using her exam content to prepare her. All right, uh, so we're, we're here on question number seven, um, no, item number seven here. So we'll cover grace period mode. Now the next thing is automatic premium loan. And uh, this one is not frequently tested, like grace period, I guarantee will be on your exam. Automatic premium loan, uh, there's a there's a thirty percent chance it may show up on your exam, but it's on your exam outline, so you have to know it. So, what is automatic premium? Um, what is automatic premium loan? So, in, in insurance for life insurance policies, um, if you and and oh, and let me just specify the automatic premium loan is only available with permanent policies. And uh, we're going to get to the difference between permanent and um, you know and term policies later on, because you have two general categories for life insurance policies, right? You have term policies and permanent policies. But the automatic premium loan is only only available with permanent policy. 
So any policy other than a term policy is a permanent policy. So whole life, universal life, um, all of those things have automatic premium loans. So what the automatic premium loan provision says is that after your grace period, right? No, because for some reason, maybe 30 days is not enough to pay your premiums, right? So after your grace period, if you have cash value, if you have money in your cash value, and again, um, you know, we'll get into that when we get uh, under um, you know, types of policies, but I'll just touch on that a little bit here. So when you have money in your cash value, right? Um, and your cash value is like your savings account that's attached to your insurance policy for permanent insurance. If you got money there, then the insurance company cannot just cancel your policy after the 30 day grace period. They must, by law, automatically, even without your consent, they must automatically take money from your cash value or your savings account you have in that insurance policy and use that to pay your premiums for as long as you have money in there. So, and, and this is something you have to know. Again, I like to weave together the exam prep and training, you know, because someone, someone told me once, well, I've had quite a few people tell me, you know what, you're, you're such, you're so good at explaining things. Maybe you're supposed to um, 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 become a professor, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and I just like to train, you know? Uh, so when, when people come on board, you no, know, I spent so much time uh, actually training my new agents, you know, compared to other people in my business and people like, why are you spending so much time training them? Shouldn't you, shouldn't you be trying to get clients or sell, you know, you're spending all that time and you're not getting paid, but I just love training. So, uh, so the automatic premium loan, a uh, few things to know about it. It is only available with cash value policies. Number two, it only kicks in after the grace period. So not before, not during, after the grace period. So, so these are all steps, you know, these are all um, safety valves they put in place for you not to lose your policy. Because sometimes people get life insurance and you know, life happens, they lose a job, they're unemployed, and now they you know now they lose their life insurance, right? So they put all of this in place to protect um, clients. So the automatic premium loan comes in after the grace period and you automatically take money from your cash value to pay your premium. So let's let's use you for example, Miss Pam, you have a whole life policy and let's say you have um, $5,000 in your cash value and your monthly payment is $100. Well, let's say Miss Pam is unemployed, you know, she, she fell on hard times and maybe you can't afford to pay your, your premiums for the next... Um, no, um, six months. With the with the with the automatic premium loan provision, the the life insurance policy is 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 required by law to automatically take money from that five thousand that you have in that life insurance policy and use it. You no, know, every month take hundred dollars from there to pay your policy until you can receive paying payments. Okay. okay. So you're allowed to do that until you run out of money in your cash. Flow. Right. Okay. All right. So now let's 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 come here to the next thing on our um, premium payment. We have two types of premium payments, right? We have flexible premium payments and we have level premium payments. So flexible, uh, so okay, so so level is fixed, right? So so for example, I have a whole life policy and my monthly premium is 
$100. Well, my monthly premium will be $100 for the rest of my life, right? For as long as, as that policy is in force, right? My monthly premium will be 100 so it's fixed, right? And, and you got you have level term policies, um, you know, all that, but, but, but my premium payment is level, right? It doesn't go up, doesn't come down, that's level. Some policies, you have flexible premium payments. And the only policy that allows you flexible premium policy, uh, flexible, well, most of the time it is um, universal life insurance policy. So anytime you have flexible, key terms, no, no, there, there are some associations I like uh, students to, to just memorize for the exam purposes. Because let's be honest, you're not going to be able to remember 100% of what you learn, right? It's, it's just human nature. You're not right. But when you learn um, associations, it kind of helps you to at least eliminate one or two answer choices on the exam. So for 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 any time you hear the word flexible premium or flexible death benefit, there's one type of insurance that automatically should come to mind, universal. That is the hallmark of universal policies. They are flexible, they offer flexible premium payments and flexible debt benefit. What that means is, you know what, maybe I fell on hard times. You know what, I call the insurance company or I want to decrease my premium payment. Or you know what, um, I want to decrease my debt benefit, right? That only happens with, um, with universal policies, okay? So you have level and, 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 and flexible. Most insurance premiums are level with the exception of, um, you know, with the exception of uh, universal life insurance policies. Now, there's, there's another type of policy that's a little bit flexible, but I don't quite think it fits in uh, flexible, because flexible means that I have the option to change it, right? Um, um, so there's something called graded whole life, right? So greater whole life uh, policies. Again, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to types of um, uh, policies. But with greater whole life policies, your premium payments start out, um, you know, your premium payments start out, um, you know, cheaper in the first like five to 10 years. And then after 10 years, um, then your premium payments will jump. So, uh, I mean, that's something you can recommend to some of your clients. You know, it, it depends on your unique needs. Again, that's after you do their financial analysis. Um, you know, after you do their financial analysis. And by the way, while I'm on the, another training movement, as an agent, you cannot submit an application, uh, especially a life insurance application for a client without doing a financial analysis. It's like going to the doctor's office and the doctor prescribing you medicine um, or treatment without doing um, a checkup on you. The doctor has to check your blood work, do your physical, check your blood pressure, your heart rate, all of that stuff, you know, uh, before he can prescribe you anything. So if the doctor prescribes you a treatment or medication or whatever without doing a physical evaluation or blood work or checkup, that would be considered malpractice. If, if something happens, you have, a legal right to sue the doctor and you'll probably walk away with a lot of money, right? So it's the same thing with insurance agents. People think the healthcare industry is regulated and I laugh. The financial industry is the most regulated industry in America. It's, it's more regulated than the healthcare industry. I mean, I, I'm a 
I'm a healthcare professional uh, you know, by, by, by training, right? I'm a pharmacist. And I'll tell you the level of regulation I experience as a financial agent is nowhere close to what I experience uh, you know, as a pharmacist, right? And people, it's very common for financial agents to go to jail than for healthcare workers to go to jail. Very, very common. Because you're, you know, you're messing with people's money, people, people livelihood. You know, if you if you mess with someone's money and they lose, like there was this financial advisor, you know, scam this guy, you know, he was managing his money, uh, scamming out of millions of dollars, you know, uh, and this guy killed himself, you know. I mean, scamming out a lot of money, you know, that he was depending on for retirement, he killed, so, killed himself. So the financial industry is very regulated. So by, by law, again, this will not be on your exam, but again, I just like to throw in a little bit of training there as an agent. You always you know um, you want to do financial analysis for all your clients. Even if you know them, you can be like, oh, uh, she's my mom or she's my sister or my best friend. So I know, you know, I don't need no. You have to do financial analysis for all of them, right? Everybody, before you submit an application for anybody, before you recommend any insurance product for anybody, you must do a financial analysis. That is the equivalent of a checkup, but this will be like a financial checkup. You must do that for everybody before you recommend anything. If you don't, and you recommend the wrong thing for that person, and let's say the person loses money or whatever happens, the person is has a legal right to sue you. And you as an agent, your license could be at stake, it could be suspended and all of that. So, so it's not worth it. And another thing, if you try to do a financial analysis um, or um, financial checkup for a client and the client is refusing, that's a red flag. It probably means that person has something to hide. If you're asking them for information, like, oh, uh, like someone wants to get business insurance. Okay, well, I want to see your your you know your articles of incorporation. I know I want to see the last um, three or four months of your financial statement, your business financial statement. If you have nothing to hide, hey, you know you are ready to turn that over. But if the person is kiddish, they don't want that tells you that they're you know they're up to no good, right? They probably want to do something illegal. As an agent, walk away. You no, know, no matter how much you're going to pay, get paid, walk away. It's not worth it. So. So uh, we, we cover flexible and um, level premium. So so the reason I mentioned that the um, the greater premium because sometimes you're trying to get insurance for people who cannot afford it, right? Um, no, they want insurance, but maybe the person doesn't want term insurance because term insurance, you know, is temporary. They want um, you know a permanent policy, but they just can't afford. A permanent policy. One option, you know, you can get them a graded, um, you know, whole life policy. So the premiums will be uh, much lower in the first five to ten years, and then maybe within five to ten years, the person's income will increase, and and then they'll be able to afford the actual payment, right? So that is again, uh, we do training for months and months and months when you come on board. So you're going to learn all of these things. Okay, so so let me stop here. I don't want to talk too much. Um, Questions, questions, questions. Any questions on what I covered so far? No, no, I'm good. Good. All right. So let's uh, let's go to the next question. So you, you see, so our, our sheet here is getting um, no, our sheet is getting redder and, and redder. Our exam outline, right? So the goal is by the end of today, we should have 
Um, all of these things highlighted, if not all, at least you know, 80% of them highlighted. So tomorrow we're going to get you on with your simulated exam. The goal is to get you to score 85%. So if you can score 85% on two of the simulated exams, Miss Pam, you're ready to rock and roll, ready to pass that exam. Okay. And we're going to pop champagne next week uh, or this week when you pass the exam. All yeah. right. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let's go to the next one. All right. So this next question says, which of the following information is not required to be included in a whole life policy? Okay. So now we want to go to types of policies here quickly, but let's read the answer choices. It says A, policy loan, interest rate, policies, guarantee, dividend, table, policies, premium, policies, cash value table. So the key now on your exam, um, and I think I mentioned this, um, uh, so, so on your exam, you got to be very, very careful with questions that have the final and uh, the following words: not, accept, incorrect, and false. These are a little tricky because it requires you to actually do a little more thinking because you are trying to, you know, the right thing, but you're looking for the wrong answer, you know, as the right one, right? So this will make up about 30% of your the questions on your exam will have the word not, accept, incorrect, or false in them, okay? So you have to watch out. You want to slow down and read it very carefully. So let's get back to this question. Which of the following information is not so it means three, three of the information will be included in a whole life policy, but one will not. So what is that um, information that will not? Okay. Now, uh, the first option is says policy loan interest rate. By law, they are supposed to state you know, the, you know, the policy loan interest rate, right? So... So if it's a if it's a permanent policy, it should tell you in your in your contract, your, you know what would be the uh, the loan interest rate. Because the advantage or the benefit of having a permanent life insurance policy is, is that you can take loans from your policy, right? Tax free loans, right? So let's say I got Miss Pam has five thousand dollars in her whole life policy cash value, and let's say she you know falls on tough times, gets unemployed, she can take out you know one or two thousand dollars loan. From that policy. Now, when you take out loan, right, um, the insurance company will sometimes, well, not sometimes, they will charge you interest. Now, they'll charge you interest and credit you interest, but I don't want to complicate that when the, uh, uh, that's training for agents because it gets complicated, but they'll, they'll, they'll charge you interest. That's what you have to know for it. Now, some, a lot of states have a maximum amount for the, the, the amount of or the percentage of interest they can try charge. Most states, uh, the maximum is, is is 8%, right? For the interest rate that they can charge you. Uh, again, when, when we get to state law, um, we'll get to the Georgia state law, we're gonna cover that. I don't wanna go um, too into detail in that, you know, to, uh, <laughs> to get off track, okay? But just know that uh, if it's a whole life policy, in the policy, they must include the interest rate, you know, the policy's um, loan interest rate. So we know that's included. 
Next thing, in any policy, they must tell you how much you're gonna pay in premiums, right? Duh, I mean, that's common sense, right? They must say in my policy, how much will my premium be? Uh, am I paying $100 a month, 500 every month? What is it? So it must say in my policy, right? They also, if it's a permanent policy, and we all know your whole life is a permanent policy, right? We know that it must uh, it must have cash value, uh, no cash value table, right? So the cash value table will just tell, will show you um, um, exactly, you know, like what what your cash value will be if you put in certain amount on a regular basis. So so the only thing that is not required to be there is um, policies guarantee dividend table. And just the word you have guarantee, you know that that's wrong. What did we say yesterday? We said that policies are never, not, no, um, um, dividends are never guaranteed, right? Dividends right. are never, ever, 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 never guaranteed. So if that comes on your exam, you should get it right. Under no circumstance. If you see dividend guarantee as an option on the exam, that is, you know, it's wrong, right? So dividends are never guaranteed. And you, as the agent, if you guarantee a dividend, what will you be found, um, found guilty of? If uh, uh, misleading. No, uh, no, no, no. What's the, what's the insurance term? Uh, so if, no, 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 no. I see you trying to look at your notes. Uh, so here's a test. No, this is a test. You're not supposed to, you, you want to test yourself, right? <laughs> no, I, no, I see you trying to cheat. You know, you shouldn't look at the notes. If you don't know, I'll help you. But so if an agent guarantees dividends, it tells a client that, a, a, that dividend is guaranteed, what is the agent guilty of? You shouldn't look at your notes, try to, no, and it's, it's okay. Yeah, you know, I, I forgot. It's misrepresentation. Misrepresentation. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's misrepresentation. Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, yes, it's no, I'm, not, I'm not sure. No, it's, it's misrepresentation. Right. Yeah, isn't that what I just said? Did I, I no, did I said you say that. misrepresentation? Oh, okay, I didn't hear that. But, I think so. Okay, but if the insurance company guarantees um, dividends, what is the insurance company guilty of? Yes, misrepresentation. No, 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 no. The insurance company is guaranteed um, guilty of false advertising. So if the insurance company does it. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes. If the agent does it, it is misrepresentation. Okay. Well, key thing, know that dividends are never, ever, ever guaranteed. Never. All right. So 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 the correct answer for that would be policy dividend um, table. All right. And it says um, policies guaranteed dividend table. All right, let's go to the next question. So this one here says, what would be an accurate definition of control business? Perfect. So I know um, this one, you probably didn't come across it and- Right, I hadn't, um, hadn't, I hadn't gone so, over that. Yeah, and uh, this is one of the, how do you call it? Um, one of those weird, questions that if I uh, to put a percentage on it of it coming in your exam, I'll put it at less than 10%. So I'm not going to go too in depth in that. And, and that is not even on your exam outline. But since we have it here, I'll just cover it quickly. So what is control business, right? What is control business? So, uh, so, so, so control business 
it's just business that um, people, uh, it's insurance business that people write on themselves and, and, and close founding members, right? And it is illegal for you to go into business or get into the insurance business just to be involved in control business. That means you, you get into the business just to write policy on family members. Like, so, okay, well, I'm getting my insurance license. I'm not going to serve the general public. You know, I, I don't really care about serving the general public. I'm just going to get it because, you know, I know the few of my aunties and my uncles and my cousins want to get life insurance. So I'm just going to get my license um, to just sell insurance to my family members. Well, that's considered control business and it is illegal. Now, if you do it one time, you know, can you write business? Um, uh, um, you know, can you write insurance policy for yourself as an agent? Yes, you can, but I highly discourage my agent from doing that because that's um, considered conflict of interest. And if something happens, you're more likely to be found guilty than that. So, but control business is just business um, that you write um, on your own life and for and for blood relatives. Okay, so that's what you got to know about. Control. So yeah, the yeah the option, uh, the correct answer will be insurance um, insurance business insurance business that um, you no know, insurance business um, that is written on the agent's own life, property, or interest. Right. But it can also include not just your own life. No, it didn't mention in this question, but it can also include uh, the keywords blood relatives, right? So like uh, you want to get policies just on, you get a license just to sell insurance only to people you know or your blood relatives, that's considered um, um, control business and it is illegal. Okay. All right, so let's go to the next one. So my goal is when we finish this, when you take that the next time, I'm looking at at least a 10% improvement. So when you take this the next time, we're looking for you to score at least um, 85%, okay? Uh, so now, uh, let's go, uh, this one, it says an incomplete, oh, right, we're talking about incomplete application, right? So an incomplete life insurance application submitted to ensure will result in which of these actions. So we, we talked about this, uh, I was saying yesterday or this morning, uh, incomplete application. Yeah, so so in this case, what would be the correct answer? Yes, it would be returned to the writing agent. Perfect, yeah. Um, what, 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 you said return to who? To the, the agent, the writing agent. Okay, perfect. So, so um, yeah, so it'll be to uh, return it um, you know, to the writing agent, okay? Um, so the insurance company would return it to the writing agent. Now, the second, oh, okay. So the key word there was, was is automatically de, um, deny, right? Uh, or decline. So if, if that was not an option, if uh, return to the writing agent um, was not an option, then the next correct answer will be automatically declined because the insurance company has the right to um, you know, decline that application. Okay, so now we got that. So next question. All of these are characteristics of an adjustable life policy except what? 
So uh, let me switch here to my camera. Let's see if you can, you can see this. All right, so all of these are characteristics of an adjustable life policy, except um, uh, A says adjustable premium, B says adjustable premium payment, uh, period, combination of term and whole life, uh, whole life uh, insurance, and D says fees amount can be adjusted using policy. So again, remember I told you about the except, right? So this is a little tricky. Anytime you see the word accept, right? So all of these characteristics of an uh, uh, characteristics of an adjustable life policy accept. So we know that three of those options are characteristics um, of adjustable policies except no um, one. So what is that one now? For adjustable policies, not like the name says it there, right? So for adjustable policies, you can adjust. Uh, no, you can adjust the premiums, right? Uh, so you can adjust the premium. You can adjust um, the the premium payment period, right? So, for example, um, um, for example, um, a, instead of paying premium for life, I can say mm, I want to pay my premium over the next ten years, right? So you can adjust the premium payment uh, period. You can also um, um, no, it, adjustable premium, uh, adjustable life insurance, just think about it, it's a combination of term insurance and whole life insurance, okay? So know that adjustable, adjustable um, life insurance, you know, adjustable life policies, okay? Adjustable life insurance is, no, equals term, and whole life. So it's not term and universal life, not term and um, no um, index universal life, or and it's term and whole life. Okay, so it's a combination. So it combines those two. So no. So number one, you got to know that adjustable um, life policies. You can adjust the premiums. You can adjust the um, the uh, duration of the premium payments. It's a combination of term and whole life. Now, the face amount um, cannot be adjusted. Only universal life insurance policy allows you to adjust the face amount. That means you can increase the face amount, you can decrease the face amount. Um, any questions with that? So, so sometimes adjustable life policies are, you know, are similar in, in some aspects to universal life policies. It shares some of the same um, characteristics as universal policies, like you adjust the premiums and all of that. But the, the only difference is that with adjustable policy is a combination of both term and whole life, and you can adjust the premium payment uh, period. Okay. Uh, any questions? No questions. Okay. Let's come here to the next one. Which of these terms accurately defines, oh, um, let me, okay, so I just cover, I want us to check off adjustable whole life. Okay, 
Okay, yeah. So you see, so so adjustable whole life is 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 on your um, on your exam um, outline. So that's good. We we'll cover it. That's on your exam outline. All right. So so <laughs> so this is which of these terms accurately defines an underwriter's assessment of information on a life insurance application? Which of these terms accurately defines an underwriter's assessment of information on a life insurance application. So um, you can see my screen, right? Yes. Okay, good. So let's come here to your exam outline. Let me switch to my document camera. Okay. So you see this right here? Um, it's on your exam outline right here. Um, uh, Rick's classification. You see right yes. here? So we're going to Highlight that, we're gonna check that out. So risk classification. So let's talk about risk classification. Risk classification. Uh, and, and you are taking notes, right? Yes. Okay. And, and, and just in case you want, because um, well, um, this will, I'll, I'll publish this um, um, to the podcast um, in the next few oh, weeks. So it's probably too late. For you to use it, sorry. Uh, let's see here. All right. So, risk classification. So, when you apply for insurance, uh, first of all, who is an underwriter? Right? Because uh, this has few terms you have to understand. In your own words, um, who is an underwriter, uh, Ms. Penn? Uh, would that be the agent? No, no, no. Or the insurance company? Uh, oh, good. Okay. Well, who is an who is an underwriter for um, no? Who is an underwriter for an insurance company? No, it's not field underwriter, but just underwriter in general. Or, or maybe another way to answer that is what what does an underwriter do? Um, I guess they would be the ones to you know, to look into the information on the application. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, they look at the application. To verify everything, to verify the information, should I say. Okay, so let me explain. Yeah, that's partially correct. So, so- um, To approve it, you know, to approve. Yes, yes. So, so, so an, uh, an underwriters, no, so I just write here, underwriter, no, so so the, the duties of an underwriter, right? underwriter duties. So the underwriter duty is number one to um no, to evaluate risks, evaluate, or another word is assess, like like yeah, in a question they use access, but it all means the same. You no, know? so 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 evaluate risks as um um, is evaluate risks and then um, no approve or decline risks no approve and decline and decline risks and then assign premiums to risks so as I said um, no 
um, when I talked about this in, I say, yeah, the previous episode of the podcast. I don't know if you listened to that, but about risks, right? So, so the insurance is, is taking a big risk on you, right? Because let's say in the case of life insurance, the way it works is the insurance company is 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 praying and betting that you're going to live for a long time, right? Because the longer you live, the more money they get out of you, right? So it's in the insurance in interest. Um, insurance companies interest for you to live as long as possible, right? So one of the key things that they use in insurance is health. You know, like the, you know, that's why they look at your medical records and all of that because they don't want to uh, insure you and then two months or one year later you die. You no, know? so so the underwriter's responsibility is to evaluate the risks. Because yes, let's face it, when you apply for you no. Know, uh, insurance, you're you're a risk, right? The insurance company is taking a risk by by uh, approving you, right? So it's to evaluate that risk. Okay, is it an acceptable risk, right? Or or is it an unacceptable risk? Now, if it's an unacceptable risk, again, um, so the insurance, you know, the the underwriter can make two determinations. The first is the first determination is is if if not is unacceptable. So if, it's, if the risk is unacceptable, the insurance company will just decline you altogether, right? They'll like, nope, decline. For example, and some insurance companies can be very, very strict. Like again, as an agent, you just got to know this. Um, again, all of you hopefully will become agents in the next few weeks or, or months. So as an agent, and a lot of people don't know this, and which is sad, right? But one of the things insurance companies will most of the time, decline people who have any history of depression. So, so, so even if you're not currently depressed, but 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 you took any depression or anxiety medication, um, most of the time they'll have the cutoff like the last three years, right? If you took any anxiety or depression medication in the last three years, they'll want to know what is going on. No, you'll need to get you know, like a like a doctor's statement, like I applied for a client, this was um, 2020. I mean, she was, you know, you know she um, uh, lost her mother, uh, you know, from COVID, the mother died uh, and she was going through a rough patch, right? So you know, she went to the doctor, depression. But again, what I talked about the Medical Information Bureau, she used her insurance. So that was reported to a Medical Information Bureau uh, file, right? So, so the insurance had access to all of that. So she went through a rough patch, you know, where you lose your mother. I mean, of course, it's traumatic for anybody. So she was depressed. She got on some, um, you know, depression medications and, you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, a few months later, she just, she wanted to apply for insurance, right? So um, someone introduced me to her. So putting an application for her. And even though she was healthy, I mean, this is someone in her 20s, right? Very healthy, you know, no medical issues, anything. But she got denied for the simple fact that uh, she was diagnosed with depression recently and she was on medications, which is crazy, right? Because yes. it, 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 it discourages people from now um, seeking help when they're depressed because now I'm like, oh, my God, if, I'm, if I get on depression medication <laughs> or... Or I go to my doctor, you no, know, not only will this affect my chance of getting life insurance, but some some jobs will not even hire you if you have depression, which is again is unfair. You know, we, we talk about getting rid of stigma, 
for depression yes. and all of that mental health, but yet and still people are still penalized, right? But but that's something you as you as an agent have to know all those little things. Like if someone is on someone had now if they were diagnosed with depression four years ago and let's say they've they've been off any medications for no no three, four years, then no big deal. But anything, let's say within two years, two to one years, they could be approved. Um, depending on what's, what the doctor writes about them. But if it's like most insurance companies, it was, if, if within one year, right, uh, of you being prescribed that medication or depressed, most insurance companies will, will deny you. And no, and I kind of understand where they're coming from too, because let's face it, um, you know, people who are depressed are at risk of, you know, killing themselves sometimes, not always, sometimes, right? So the insurance company is scared, like, oh, this person is depressed. If we insure them, they could kill themselves. And now maybe they only pay three or four premiums. And now we are on hope for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's from like a business risk perspective. So I kind of understand both sides. But that's something you as an agent you have to know, right? So 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 the insurance, you know, so the underwriter, you no, know, and, and the underwriter, you no, know, she was a nice lady, but um anyway, yeah. So she wrote back to me, like, oh no, your client. Was no, she's been depressed recently as three months, no, six months ago. She was on medications and she's still on medications. So she's a huge risk. We cannot um, no, insure her. So that client cannot get any insurance. Uh, no, no. Now there, there's some insurance that will, no, that will insure you. Those are called guarantee issue. Again, that is not on exam. So that's that's for agent training. But most insurance, no, will not, right? So, so she determined the risk to be unacceptable and she declined my client. So when the risk is unacceptable, then the underwriter um, has the power and so his or her responsibility to decline the risk so they can reject the application. Now, when it, when it, determine, when it determine that the uh, risk is acceptable, Then they, they can categorize that risk. They can put that risk into three categories. The first category will be preferred, right? So that means everything is good. You no, know, like that person is in good health. You no know, um, insurance when you apply for insurance, uh, they, you know they, they even dig down into your you know, your you know, your you know, into your, your your DMV records. That's one of the first reports usually. Uh, you no. Know, some of the insurance companies I work with, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll pull your DMV report within 48 to 72, uh, 72 hours, right? So they want to know, like, do you have any, do you have a lot of speeding tickets? Now, uh, I think the, the trip there is, is, is three years, right? So if you have three speeding tickets within the last three years, um, that's a risk, right? Because they're like, oh, uh, this person is reckless. You are at risk of getting killed in an accident. So we probably don't want to <laughs> insure that person. Or even if they're going to insure you, they're going to charge you higher premiums, right? So they pull your DMV report, <clears throat> uh, pull all of that. But but if they determine that, um, oh, this person has a good driving record, their health is is good, not, everything is good, then they'll, they'll issue you this preferred rating. So preferred rating, you got to know about preferred rating is these people pay the the uh, the least expensive premium. So so just think about it as, as car insurance, right? So if you got clean driving record, you don't have any speeding tickets, you don't have any accident history, all of that, 
you know, um, it, you know let's, let's say you and I go and apply for insurance, right? You have a good, you have a clean driving record, no speeding tickets, no accidents. Uh, the insurance company, now let's say Geico, for example, may say, okay, you know what, uh, Miss Penn, um, we're going to charge you $100 a month. But let's say me, you know, I apply for the same insurance, but I have maybe five speeding tickets in the last one year, uh, five accidents in the last one year. Geico is probably not going to insure me, or even if they insure me, instead of paying $100 a month, I may pay two or $300 a month, right? So, 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 so when you're good, when you're acceptable rates and you're the best rates, right? Um, then you're, you're putting a class called preferred, right? And that is the least expensive. So you, for the same amount of insurance, you, you, you pay you know, the cheapest premium, right? Now, uh, so, so, so preferred just means that, you know, your health uh, and everything about you is better than average, right? So the key word is better than average, right? So your health and all, everything else about your application is better than average. So when it's better than the average, then they're gonna give you preferred, right? So let's say if you're 60 year old, most 60 year olds have diabetes, have blood pressure, all of those things, right? But if you are 60 year old and you're not on any medication, you don't have any diabetes, have blood pressure, no cholesterol, no arthritis, none of that stuff, for your age group, right? You're, you're considered preferred, right? So they're going to give you preferred rate. Now, the next time- also of, look at that, like, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, credit score. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? So now the next thing here, if it's not preferred, then um, then the next option is cost tender. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's cost tender. So, so when you think about standard, just think average. Right. So, so for example, no, so for example, no, you're you're 60 year old and you have high blood pressure and you have diabetes. Duh. Most 60 years old, no, uh, no, I'm a pharmacist. Most 60 year olds are on no, the majority of 60 years old in this country are on at least um, six different medications, right? And the most common are usually diabetes and, and high blood pressure, right? Uh -huh. so, so if you are 60 year old and you have high blood pressure and diabetes, well, it's, it's not a big deal. No, it's average. It's expected, right? Now, let's let's contrast that. If you are 20 year old and you have high blood pressure, diabetes, and high cholesterol, uh oh, no, 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 no. No, you're you're worse. You're worse than average, right? So 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 that will be considered a substandard risk. Substandard risk. So when you're substandard risk, that means you're worse than average. You know, again, um, insurance puts people into um, groups, you know, or, or, or into risk categories or, or risk uh, classes, right? So that, you know, for your age group and everything, you know, so if you are 20 year old um, and you have diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol and arthritis and all of that, come on, you are 20 year old, you should be like, <laughs> no, I guess that's the healthiest you're ever going to be, right? Mm -hmm. So if you if you have that, uh, the insurance company will no, they may still insure you, but they'll consider you a substandard risk. So now, because uh, for your age group and everything, that is um, worse than average, right? So now you're going to pay more premiums. So you're considered mm -hmm. substandard risk. So substandard risk is worse than average. Um, standard risk is average. 
and prefer risks is um, better than average. So now uh, let's you know let's let's do a quick uh, question series. Yeah. So which which well what are the three types of risks? Uh, what are the three types of um, risks categories? Preferred, standard, and substandard. Perfect, perfect. Now, which risk category pays? Uh, um, uh, which risk category offers the cheapest premium, and why? The preferred, and why? Because they have less risk. I perfect. Say. And which risk category offers? Um, um, which risk classification offers the uh, uh, highest premium and why? The substandard because they have more risk. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and it, the key word is worse than average. Right. Okay. All right. All right. That's good. That's good. You're making progress. So now we can come here and cancel you no, know, and cross out um, classification. Well, before they crossed out classification. So you see? So we're we're checking off things. All right, that's good. So now we have everything about RICs, classifications. We know what an underwriter does and all of that. So we'll move to the next question. Uh, so just heads up, um, in about 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to take a quick break. And then um, we're going to, uh, no, we're going to resume. Because uh, I know we've been going for almost two hours now. All right, so here, this other question says, a life insurance policy insures, um, uh, let me switch back to my screen. Okay, uh, you can see my camera, right? You can see the screen? Yes. Okay, so a life insurance policy, uh, which ensures that premium will be paid if the insurer becomes disabled, has what kind of wider attached? Perfect. Now. I will tell you, Miss Pam, and, and for you guys listening on the podcast, from my experience, the most difficult parts of the exam are policy riders, provisions, and options. This section, section two, right? From my experience, uh, well, that would be the most difficult. The second most difficult would be um, you know, the part that has to do with taxes. And the third most difficult would be social security, right? So this is the part you no, know, almost always, not, not always, but almost always, if I, were to, if I were to put a percentage on our privacy, at least 80% of the time, this would be the, the section that people score the lowest in, right? Because it's, it, it's, it's very complicated. I'll, I'll be honest. Even me, when I took my exam, this was the section that I scored the lowest in. So we're going to spend some time on this. Uh, I'm going to go a little slower because we really want to break this down. In this section, you, you, you don't really have to understand, but you have to do some cramming. You have to uh, you know, uh, memorize some stuff for this section, right? That is how complicated it is. So um, let's talk about riders in general. So I'll switch here to my document camera. Let's talk about riders. What is a rider? So, Miss um, Pam, uh, can you tell me what is a rider? Well, um, I can try. 
So a writer, I think, is someone that, um, say, for instance, if you have a a mother or father has insurance, Mm -hmm. then they can add on their their kids as well as their spouse onto their insurance. Okay, perfect. Okay. That's good. So, yeah, so a writer, I mean, uh, all you got to know is a writer is an attachment, right? So it's, it's, it's something that's added. So, so think about um, an attachment, um, think about something extra, no, no, think about an add-on. So, so, so for example, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example, and, and it feels like a long, long time ago, but man, oh man, can time fly. So uh, this was when I just got out of pharmacy school, you know, you, you know, you're young, you're in your, uh, you know, you're in your early 20s, you know, uh, and you start making a lot of money. So, you know, what will most people do? You know, you, you know, you're going to uh, try to find ways to uh, to spend it, right? So mm-hmm. when I just got out of school, I got a a, a drop top BMW convertible. Oh man, oh man, that was that was sweet, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, mm-hmm. but when I went to the dealership, um, you know, you had a base model, right? So the base, for example, the base model did not come with um. No, with um, heated seats. No, no, the base model did not come with um, no, um, how you call it? No, with um, onboard navigation. Again, this was like, um, geez, this was like 12 years ago, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so like now most cars have GPS, it comes standard in the car, but back then it was like extra, right? So, so it didn't come with, it didn't come with um, OnStar, it didn't come with um, um, the, the dashboard navigation. It, no, it didn't come with a lot of things, right? So the base model was cheaper, but but it excluded a lot of the things I wanted. So I'm like, oh, you know what? Uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm I'm going to get some extra features, right? I want to add on, uh, no, uh, some things. So I told them, hey, I want the heated leather seats. You know, I wanted, um, no, I want I want the inboard navigation. No, um, and you know, and and I and I told them that I also want OnStar, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. no, I was always getting lost. No, for some reason, I guess I'm like most guys, but me and finding directions. No, and, and, I, and I thank God for the GPS because before the GPS, oh my God, we used to use MapQuest when I was in high school, and yeah. I always used to get lost. <laughs> <laughs> I always used to get oh, lost. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, nope, I want, I want, I, I want, um, no, um, navigation set. Yeah, so, but guess what? All of that were extra features and it, and it ended up costing me more, right? Mm-hmm. So the same thing with life insurance, right? So uh, so with life insurance, you have your base policy, right? Now, if you want um, some extra things added on, you can also add those and those are called riders, right? So so, so for example, let, let's list some of the riders here you have in life insurance. Uh, you can add on, I just abbreviated here with um, no LTC means long-term care rider, right? So you can get a long-term care policy by itself, like a standalone policy, right? Or you can attach that um, to your life insurance policy. No, you want to pay a little bit extra. No, for example, um, let's see. No, um, if like I just put in an application for a forty-nine-year-old guy. Uh, and his his, his um 
His um, term, uh, his long-term care rider cost him uh, about $4.50 extra every month, right? So, so, so you can add uh, long-term care rider to it. Now, this will not be on your exam, it's just another training. But as an agent, you always want to make sure that your clients that are 50 and older either have long-term care insurance or if you're um, getting them life insurance, add a long-term care rider because we know people over the age of 50, this is not me speaking, this is, um, um, these are the stats, right? Um, no, um, out there that people over the age of 50, especially the black people for whatever reason, again, I'm not going to go into all of that, but have a one in three chance of experiencing a long-term medical um, condition, right? Know that you're gonna need long-term medical care, one in three, that's 30%. Know that number jumps closer to 40% if you're male, whether it's heart attack, stroke, you, know, you uh, name it, right? But you're gonna need long-term medical care. When you hit, um, when you hit 60, that, that number is one in two, right? What that means is you as an agent, you know, cause you are, as an agent, you have to take good care of your clients, right? You have to look out for the best interests. Even if, you know, some clients, they may say, oh, they may come to you and be like, oh, may spam, I just want life insurance. But you clear, you know, that person is 65 year old, you know, they don't have a lot of money stashed away, you know, working paycheck to paycheck. Duh, what if they, what if they have a stroke and they can't work and they need assisted, Maybe, yeah, um, you know, they may get a little um, help from the government, but it's not going to be enough, right? So they need extra long-term uh, insurance, um, you know, that will help to, uh, you know, long-term care insurance that will help to cover that. Because we know the number one reason people file for bankruptcy in this country is due to medical, uh, you know, uh, um, medical bills, right? So if you, as an agent, for, you know, for a few dollars a month, if you can help to prevent that, you know, from happening to your client, that would be great. Uh, even to go a little further on the example, I gave this on the um, podcast, the last episode when I talked about Riggs, uh, a guy, you know, he, he's in Ohio. Uh, at that time, he was 62. I tried to get him to get long-term care insurance and he refused, you know? He said, oh, it's too expensive. I don't have money right now, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward three years later, he has both a heart attack, uh, you know, uh, he has both a heart attack and a stroke. Now, though, the little money he has saved for retirement, now he, you know, he's, he's using almost everything now to pay for his long-term medical care, right? And now uh, his wife has to go back to work in her old age to be able to, you know, support him, right? Whereas if you have listened to me and have long-term care insurance, they are going to cover, uh, you know, all the costs, um, you know, of his, um, you know, of, you know, of, of trying to you know take care of him, pay caregivers, and even give him extra five grand every month, right? So, and so you can attach the long-term care. Now, it's always better to have the long-term care as a standalone policy, but if the client cannot afford it, you can add it as a wider. So, again, just a little um, teaching moment there. And um, so, also, yeah, uh, the long-term care. Uh, is that just like for critical illness when a person loses their no. job? Like when, how, when does that kick in? Okay, okay. So, so the long-term so long care usually, again, this will not be on your exam. Right. But the long-term care usually kicks in when you have two, um, when you cannot perform two ADLs. So ADL stands for activity of daily living. So you cannot um, walk, 
you cannot feed yourself. Uh, no, 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 you, um, no oh. you cannot toilet. Uh, okay. uh, all those, no, there are uh, about six, no. Um, but if you cannot perform two activities of daily living, then that's when the long-term care benefits kick in. And usually they have a waiting period of at least, um, some of them will have a waiting period of at least 90 days. So you must be able to not perform at least two of those for 90 days. And after that, they can start paying you benefits. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, 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 so the rider, the first one is long-term care. And as an agent, you always, if you're getting policy for people over the age of 50, you always want to recommend long-term care rider. You know, and, and, and for me, that's something I, like I, I do automatically, unless the client tells me no, I automatically add it. Because most people don't even know what they don't know, right? But you always mm -hmm. want to add a long-term care rider. And, and again, this will not be on your exam, but the cutoff age, the minimum age to get long-term care rider is 21. So, so I tell people the best time to get long-term care rider is when you're when you're um, when you're young and healthy, right? So even your 21 or 30 year old class, you can still add long-term care rider, you know, but it's it's kind of optional. But if you are 50, uh, trust me, unless you unless you tell me, hell no, I don't want it, unless you like tell me you know, like big no, no, because don't do it, but I'll try to make sure I get you long-term care. Okay. All right. So uh, so long-term care rider, uh, then the next rider we have is um, a disability income rider. Disability income rider. So the disability income rider just says that, okay, uh, you know what? If I get disabled, for some reason I can't work, uh, I, I want you to pay me um, monthly benefits. So that's the disability income rider. Then another one, you have the, the payer ride, um, rider. So, so the payer rider, you'll always you'll find this in, in, in juvenile policies, right? Uh, or my policies for kids under the age of 18, where it says that, okay, if I, you know, because most of the time, well, not most, but all of the time, if it's a minor, you know, it's the parent who's paying the premium, right? So that rider just says that, God forbid, if the parent dies, you no, know, uh, while the kid is still under age, then, then the insurance company will waive that um, the, the premium payment. Now, usually it's up to, I think, 21, right? So they'll waive the premium payment up until age 21, where, where you know, the policy will stay in force for that. So disability income rider, you have, um, you have payer rider. Uh, there are other riders, I'm um, trying to think here. Uh, let's see, let's see here, riders, riders, riders. Okay, and then you have term riders, right? You have term riders. So, 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 what is term rider? Now, another name for term rider is called base insure rider. And let me explain what that means. So, 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 for example, um, someone really needs, um, someone really needs five hundred thousand dollars worth of, um, um, uh, let's say, univ index universal life insurance policy. Um, no, they need five hundred thousand. But the person right now, they can only afford to get, let's say, $250,000 um, um, index universal life insurance policy, right? So now what you, again, this, this comes with training experience, you know, but what you as the agent will do, you know, you can, you can offer, you can add that term rider, so you can add 250000 term rider to their policy. 
to equal $500,000 coverage. But the term rider is pennies on the dollars. You know, it's very like few dollars. Usually it's less than um, $10 a month, but that gives an added debt benefit. Um, you know, it gives an added debt benefit where they can be able to get it. But it's like they got $500,000 debt benefit, but technically they're just paying for two hundred and fifty. dollars so, so you can add like a term rider. Now the term rider is term, so it comes for time period, right? So the term rider, you may put that in, it may be for 10 years, you no, know, it may be for 20 years or whatever, but, but it has a definite period at some point it, it, it falls off, right? So for example, if, if it's people that are still in the, still raising families, then we, then we usually, set the term rider to expire when the kids are independent, you know? So maybe when the kids like 25 years old, then the term rider falls off, you know? Or sometimes you can let it fall off, you know, uh, you know when, they're, when they become retired, 65. But just rule of thumb, uh, every agent is different. But for me, I never let my term rider for any of my clients go past the age of 65, okay? But again, that would not be on your exam. I don't want to waste time with stuff that would not be on your exam. But you just got to know that term rider um, is, um, is is term policy that you add to a, a permanent um, a permanent policy. Now the other rider, and that's and the term riders would be like your relatives, like your kids or your spouse. Right? Oh, no, no, good, good. You asked a very good question. No, no, no. So, and I'll get to that. So, you have, the term rider is just adding extra term insurance. To your policy, right? As oh, for yourself. Yeah. Now the next way you get, you have the family term rider. Okay. Okay. So the family term rider is what you talked about. So the family term rider is just adding now. It's adding um um a uh, uh, term insurance for all your family members. You no, know, it's it's adding it to the policy. So let's say I have a five hundred thousand dollars whole life policy and I say, oh, you know, I want to have a term rider for my wife and my kids. So now maybe I can get a little term rider, maybe you know, fifty thousand dollars each for my wife, my kids, and add it to it. So so that's what so the family term. So it's like a term rider, but it's specifically for family. Okay. Okay. So 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 now if you want to even go down in the weeds, you may have something called, you no, know, they may even break down. So maybe you don't have kids, right? So instead of having family term rider, you have just a spouse term rider. So now this one is just term insurance for your uh, spouse. Or, 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 or maybe you and your spouse are now on good terms. Maybe you're whatever, you know, you're uh, separated or you don't like each other anymore. You're like, nope, uh, I, don't, I don't care about you anymore. I just want to take care of my kids, right? So now you can have you can add a children term rider. Uh-huh. Okay, you can add a children term rider. Um, any questions? Okay, yeah. So uh, going back to the term rider for yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you have a whole life insurance policy, mm-hmm. and then you add on the term rider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say you said the person may have wanted the five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So you would do five uh, twenty five, two hundred and fifty whole life, mm-hmm. and then add the two hundred and fifty term. But yes, that, well, that would just be for ten years. So once the ten year period ends, they will still have the two hundred and fifty whole exactly. life. Exactly. Uh, gotcha. And another name for term um, term for the term rider is called base insure rider. 
Right, okay. The DAS is based in Shoreline. All right. So now let's let's um so 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 we'll cover the term. So we have um, um we have so um now there's another rider that's called return of premium rider. No, now we have a lot of again for, for the riders, all you gotta know is what they do, right? So for the riders, you don't have to go into detail. You just have to know what the rider is and what's the purpose of the rider, right? Mm -hmm. So so you have a return of premium rider. So so you, you usually see the return of premium rider on, on, on term insurance policies, right? So so what the return of premium rider is just what it is, right? So the return of premium rider will say, okay, if if I die, you know, and and, and usually they'll you know, usually they'll have um um you know usually they're gonna have a um a, a, a specific um period, right? Like okay, if I die within the first 10 years, right, of this policy. I want you to return all the premiums I paid, right? So, so let's say I'm paying one thousand dollars in premium every year. So over ten years is is ten thousand dollars premium I will pay, right? So if I die anytime within the first ten years of getting this policy, I want you to return all the premium to my um, uh, beneficiary. beneficiary, right? So that's the return of. I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. So you're just returning the premium, but keep in mind that that all these riders costs a little extra, right? So the more riders you add to the policy, the more expensive it gets. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so, so that's the return of premium rider. Now, the other rider we have is called the accidental death and this um, accidental death and dismemberment rider. Now, I'm just popping all the riders. I'm sure we want to come uh, across some questions later on, but at least you kind of know all the riders. So um, accidental death and dismemberment rider. So, 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 um, so what this rider just says is that if I die in an accident, I want you, you know, most of the time, um, they'll, they'll pay two to three times the death benefit. So if I die in an accident, I, I want you to pay my, you know, pay my beneficiaries uh, um, more, more money. So, so let's say I have a, a $100,000 policy, right? But now I add an accidental death and dismemberment um, rider to my policy. And let's say that rider will pay two times the death benefit. So now uh, if I die, instead of my family getting 100,000, now my family is getting 200,000. So they're getting two times the death benefit. Or sometimes you have um, accidental death benefit riders so they triple the death benefit. So instead of getting 100,000, now my family will get 300,000. Right, but but the key thing of the accidental death, um, you know, death and dismemberment rider is that death has to occur within a certain time period of that accident, and it's usually ninety days, right? So you know, and but you're gonna have to follow that in the insurance contract, but it's usually ninety days. So so let's say, God forbid, um, you know, you're driving and you have a car accident and you, you don't die right away, but maybe you're put on life support. And 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 now um, mm. maybe six months or let's say uh, one month later um, you die, right? That life, that accidental death and dismemberment rider, because they look at the cause of the ride, uh, cause of the death. The cause of the death was the accident, right? So now let's say if you had a hundred thousand dollars policy and your accidental death and dismemberment benefit was two times the amount, now they pay two hundred thousand, and you no. Know, 
know while we're on this, I'll just stop and talk quickly about just life and death quickly. I know um, a lot of times no one likes to talk about death because death is one of those things that no one feels good in trying to talk about, right? But the sad thing is, you know, we all know that um, the only guarantee we have in life is death, right? As you know, as long as you're going to die now. It's not it's all, now we all pray and hope that we're going to live a long life, right? You know, I, I would like to live until at least age 90, you know, if possible. Because both both grandparents live until their 90s, right? So uh, I pray you that... have a good chance. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, both grandparents, you know, my mother and father side, live until their 90s. So hopefully I can live until I'm in my 90s. But all of us want to live a long life. But at some point, we will die, right? Now, so 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 the sad thing is most of the time, and I don't know about you know the American um, society, but in the African culture, and um, maybe most Africans can, most immigrants can attest to this. People have this resistance to life insurance. They think just the fact, just even getting life insurance kind of acknowledges or affronts somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, affronts the um, 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 mortality. Wait, yeah. you know, so as an agent, you're going to come across this. Sometimes the people who need life insurance the most are the people who will, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, refuse to get it, right? So as mm-hmm. an agent, you have to know how to talk. And and, and I know when we talked, I think it was yesterday, you asked me about all these questions. Oh, you know, how do I you know, get clients? How do I sell to clients? You know, and when you yes. come to we have a very detailed training. It may take days or weeks on, you know, um, mm-hmm. stuff like all of that. But one of the things, you know, when you, you, you just ask people a, a simple question, ask them, what contract, and, you know, you can, you can write this down, you know, this is, you know, part, you know, I'd like to throw in a little bit of you know, agent training there too, not just example, but you, you can write this down and ask your clients, right? People who are refusing to get life insurance, ask them um, whatever their name is, Peter, John, whatever, like um, um, Mr. Peter, could you please tell me what contract, you no, know, you can write this down word for word. Could you please tell me what contract you have signed with God <laughs> that, that assures you that you will not die. Mm-hmm. No, no, not just die, but that you will not die tomorrow or die next month or die next year. Can you please show me that contract? Right. And the truth is, no, and, and when you ask them, like it really hits them, like, really? No, I don't have a contract with God. Okay. Well, if you don't have a contract with God that tells you when you die, then why are you not protecting your family? Because life insurance is not for the dead, it's for the living. That's right. right? So I tell people, if you if you got people in your life you care about, whether they're your spouse, your kids, your parents, whatever, if you got people in your life you care about, mm-hmm. no, and, and those people depend on you, you need life insurance. That is simple. That is that is it. So the simple task if, to see if someone needs life insurance, they, you they ask them, do you have people you care about. And most people will be like, oh, yes, I love my kids to death. Oh, yeah, I love my spouse. Oh, I love my parents. Oh, I love, no, or I love my siblings or whatever. Okay. Do those people depend on you for survival? 
or, or right. like that 100 but like for example i'm supporting my parents right not 100 but you no know, I, I still support them right so my parents you know, in some ways still depend on me right so i ask them you no know, if you if you got people you love and care about and those people depend on you for some kind of financial uh survival it may not be 100 but some kind of uh, financial assistance and you care about those people you need life insurance plain and simple Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, but anyway, uh, that is that is for sales training. Sometimes I tend to get carried off. Let me get back. All right. And now, look, so <laughs> I, I, you just talked. You just uh, made yeah. me aware of something. Um, mm-hmm. with the A and A D and D, the accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm sorry. I kind of lost my train of thought, but. So, you know, like you said, when people are put on life support or whatever mm-hmm. from that accident, mm-hmm. and so you said that they, you only have, what, 60 days or 90 days? Uh, for, for most insurance, and, and it varies uh, from insurance company to insurance company, but most That's insurance will have a time limit, but it's, it's usually 90 days. So the death has to occur within 90 days of the accident. Yeah, so this right here would be something that the family will, if they know, you know, exactly. that you have this kind of insurance, mm-hmm. this will be, you know, important to them um, deciding whether to keep you on life support or not. <laughs> How now, long they keep you on there. Now, 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 you don't want people just pulling the plug because they think they can get more money, though. <laughs> well, of course not, but, that, you know, that just goes back to yeah. You know, people insuring people for the sake of, yeah. you know, killing someone off or whatever the case may be. So this is this is something similar to that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because if yeah. someone knows that they got their insurance is going to double or triple, then this would be something that would, you know, <laughs> encourage them to pull the plug, even though they love you or whatever. But they say, well, hey, they probably going to die anyway. So, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying that's how people think. You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure a lot of people have done that. You know, that was uh, one of their main reasons for for pulling that plug on grandma before, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 90 no. days is up. Yeah, no, and, and, that's, and, that's, and that's what I, you know, and that's what I tell people, right? Because, you know, uh, but the sad thing is, again, it's just human nature. You have some people who will do anything for money, right? Yeah, so, that's right. So I, I tell people, you know, and again, as an agent, you know, let's 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 do a little discussion here quickly. I mean, you know, just maybe less than five minutes. But as an agent, you want to come across people, and that's why you have to do what you believe. And the key word is believe. Most of the time, you don't need to have proof of it, but you are within your right as an agent to use your good judgment and to use your discretion, right? So if you have reasons or if you have suspicion to believe that someone is getting life insurance on someone, you know, to harm them, it is in, it is your, your ethical duty to not go ahead with that application. Right, but right. sometimes it may not even be that they're the... Um they're the, uh, what did I say, mm-hmm. the policy owner. They may not be the policy owner. The yeah. person that's laying in the bed, you know, that's in the hospital may be the policy owner. And that person may be, 
the spouse, and they may be yeah. the beneficiary. Yeah. But and, they know that what type of coverage they have. Yeah. And, you know what and, I'm saying? Yeah, and, and the other the other thing, the other thing you want to um, do, and then you know, again, um you always want to when you're doing these things, you want to um have the applicant know um and ensure separate, right? If if they're not the same um, persons, you never want the right. beneficiary and the applicant to be there at the same time while you talk to them. Never. Because mm-hmm. sometimes some people don't want you no, know, yeah, they want to put their spouse down, but they don't want their spouse to know that the beneficiary, right? Uh, and, and, and you and you and you and you brought up a key point. You no, know, as an agent, even though they're married, but again, it comes, you know, comes down to HIPAA, right? HIPAA is uh, you know, again, that would be on your health insurance exam. But HIPAA is like a privacy, you no know, law, federal law, and all of that stuff. But um, you, you know, you have to protect um, you no. Know, confidential information or privacy, right? Okay. So sometimes when you, you know when you're doing these things, you no, know, if the spouse is there, you just say, oh, you know what? I, you know, and if it's you no, know, if it's in person, you no, know, just be polite, but oh, you know what, due to whatever XYZ laws, uh, I'm I'm obligated to uh, you know, to talk to uh, your wife or whoever one-on-one, right? Because now some people don't even want to put uh, you no, know, some people don't even want to, to put their spouse down as the beneficiary. You no, know, uh, I had a funny story. This was this was this was few years ago, and, and, and you're gonna see as an agent quite frequently. So I was doing application for the husband, um, and you no, know, and, and I had no idea that he and his wife were going through problems. You no, know? sometimes people have relationship problems, and, and on the outside they look. Or happy and good. I didn't know, you know, and, and I knew the couple. So so I went and do, you know, and this was when I just got into the insurance industry. So I mean I didn't know any better, right? So so the wife and the husband were there, you know, and I was doing the application together, um, everything. And and, then, and I asked, you no, know, I asked, you know, uh, uh, like I asked the husband, because because he, you know, uh, he was applying for the policy. So I asked him, oh. So um, who you want to be your beneficiary? He's like, oh, um, yeah, I'll, I'll put my, I'll put my wife down. You know, I'll, I'll say, okay, what percentage you want to give your wife? He's like, oh, I'll, I'll give her fifty percent. And by the time he said that, again, this was pre-COVID, so people, every most of the things were uh, in person. So by the time uh, he said that, his wife gave him gave him a dirty look. And by the time his wife gave him the dirty look. Uh, it's like, oh no, no, um I actually made a mistake. I'll give a hundred percent. Yes, you yeah. are going for that. <laughs> yeah. No, and that and that reminded me of the whole Will and Will, Will and um Jada Oscar yes. situation. Yes. Uh, so sometimes spouses when I want to do something, but they, they're afraid of the reaction. So no, mm-hmm. no, they get a cue. But so no, so went ahead and put the application put for the wife as 100 mm-hmm. percent After we did it, he called me back a few days later. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, um, you know what? Uh, I want to make a change. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, no, I, I really don't want to give my wife 50 percent. And he went and explained a lot of things. But no, no, I don't want to make her a beneficiary. I said, hold up, but you just said over there that you want to, no, he said, no, 
No, I don't really trust her, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't want her to be my beneficiary. No, I want to make, you no, know, because yeah, outside children from a right. previous marriage, he's like, oh, yeah, I want to give my 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 outside son, you no, know, my son from another marriage, I want to give him 50%, and I want the other um, 50% to be split between my two kids. No, but I don't. Yes. So, so his wife, and I kind of felt bad, you no, know, because I know the couple. So his wife is, is there thinking, that she's 100% beneficiary, but he has cut her out completely. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. He didn't give a 10%. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. But yeah, but but all of that comes with experience, right? So you have yes. to, and that's why as an agent, you have to know all these little, little things. You mm-hmm. don't want to talk to people together, even if you're, you're a couple. You always want to do it separately. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so people will say they don't need insurance. I mean, I, if I tell you the number of times where I've talked to people, try to convince them, and like, oh, I don't need insurance. Insurance, hey, uh, a, a, a relative of mine, I won't even call a name, but not a relative. I talked to he and his wife. Um, no, they had two young kids that time about getting insurance. Oh, well, it's too expensive. I'm like, I did a financial analysis. Okay, you can cut, you know, you're paying $150 for cable. Come on. You don't need $150 for cable bill. That's crazy. What about you get basic cable and you can get a $50 term policy that will pay you, you know, now I have a debt benefit at least 200000 300000 so that if something happens to you, because think about it, both of you are struggling right now, right? The, even with two incomes, you, you cannot take care of, you know, the kids and take care of yourself. What, what happens if one of you dies? It's even going to be worse. Like, oh, no, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, well. So back and forth for a couple of months, I just like, okay, I washed my hands. Two years later, I just got a call that the wife, you know, that his spouse passed away. You know, the wife passed away. You no, know, she was just sudden. Uh, you no, know, if something happened, I don't know what it was, but it, you no, know, but it took her to the hospital. You no, know? yeah, she, she actually died of brain, um, you know, how you call it, brain, um aneurysm yeah, yeah. It, was, it was sudden like within a few minutes they took her to the hospital they bring you know blood rush to her head everything she was on life support for a uh, couple of weeks and and she ended up dying right because of that you know the husband he was a single father he had to raise two young kids by himself for years you know, you know they end up losing their house things got terrible with him for years they really went in dire straits. But what if they had that $200,000 policy that I recommended for just 50 bucks? If they had taken my advice and cut down their cable to basic cable and just shift that. Because sometimes as an agent, and as, this is where training comes in, you have to know how to, some people, yes, they don't have that money, but you can just help to show them how to reduce their expenses and be able to shift some of that money uh, yes. over to something because life insurance is not an accessory. A lot of people think it's an it's accessory. A it is a necessity, right? Yes. So yes. Uh, anyway, so so for those of you listening on the podcast, um, you know, again, I get in my training more, but if you don't have an insurance agency, like maybe some of you are Prime America or American Income Life, whatever, PHP, but if you're someone, you're still on the fence, you don't know which um, insurance agency to join, hey, you can come and, Come and join me. I can show you how you can build your own insurance business. You can create your own insurance agency for less than 500. And I know it sounds crazy. It's almost like um, 
um, I'm committing blasphemy by saying it, but it's the truth. You can uh, create your own financial agency for less than 500. So if you want to know how, uh, or you want to learn more, contact me. My number is in the description. It's 202-855-6294. Again, 202-855-6294. All right, so Ms. Penn, um, I think we're almost done with riders. Um, oh, oh, no, we have, we have um, one more rider to cover quickly, and, and, then, and then we'll take a break. So one more rider. Okay. Because the brother is getting hungry, I got to go and eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, uh, one more rider, and this rider is the um, guaranteed insurability rider. Guaranteed insurability. So, so, so what that means is that you no, know, the guarantee insurability rider just guarantee. Um, you no, know, it, it, it guarantees the client to apply for more insurance as specified um, 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 dates in the future, right? So, because we know the, the the biggest thing with insurance, the um, some people know, oh, but you know, what do I need to qualify? The most important is health. You must be in good health, right? For life insurance, right? You must be in good health. And we know that as people get older, you know, you know their health actually gets worse, right? You know, the younger you are, the even better. No, I mean, now you have some, you have some, like I saw a 60-year-old woman and man, she looks better than even some 20-year-old. And I'm like, how are you doing it? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, no, but those people are the exception, you know? Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so, so what you want to do is if you, if you can add a gra- guarantee insurability rider to the policy, right, um, then at least, or, or you can add a, uh, either a guarantee insurability rider or, um, or, um, or a base insurer rider, but the guarantee insurability rider will allow them now to get extra insurance at future dates without having to show evidence of insurability, right? Or proof of insurability. Because every time you apply for insurance, they have to see if you're insurable. And the biggest thing is your health, right? So for example, um, uh, a, a client of mine, and trust me, I have so many stories. Someone was telling me one time that I should write a book about it because I can literally write a 500-page book and I'll still need more pages. But <laughs> I, you know, I, had, I had a client, this, this happened in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, she was doing very well, trying to get her to get insurance. She said, oh, I don't, I don't need insurance, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, well, what about, what about just get, so I finally convinced her. She just got, she's like, oh, yeah, I mean, okay, well, I'll just get $50,000 turn. Okay, so she got the $50,000 um, no, um, term insurance. Now, uh, I think two years later, because she was, you know, at that time she was 57, you know, and, and, she, and she had a stroke. As I said earlier, people over the age of 50, you have a one in three chance, you have a you know, 30 to 33% chance of experiencing a stroke, heart attack, or, or any kind of chronic medical issue, right? Or, or um, no, or acute medical issue, but she she just got her fifty thousand. So after she had a stroke, 
she's like, um, no, um, no. And it finally clicked to her, like, oh my God, no, because when people have these things, then their life flashes before their eyes, like, oh, I can really die. So now she wanted more insurance. Oh, because I changed my mind. No, I want to increase my courage to at least um, 250,000. Well, uh, she, we applied to multiple insurance companies, but once you have a stroke, no, mm. usually within one to two years or even three years after your stroke, most insurance companies will not even want to touch you with a temporal uh, pole, right? Uh -huh. so, so she got denied by all the insurance companies and, and, and and it took her almost um, six years to get extra insurance. Whereas if she had a guaranteed insurability rider, it was going to allow her to get additional coverage, right? Uh, you know, to get additional coverage at specified dates in the future. So maybe five years later, you know, every five years or every three years or stuff. So even if she had a stroke, but she had that rider attached, right? She was not going to, uh, she was still going to get extra um, insurance coverage. So just know the guarantee insurability rider allows a client, um, you know, allows an insurer to get extra insurance, right, at, at specified future dates. Okay. So it allows you to get extra insurance at specified future dates. And the key there is without evidence of insurability, without having to prove that you're insurable. So you can be in a worse health situation, your guarantee insurance. So this is something I usually recommend, especially for my, for my clients over the age of 50, you know, 50 and above, because I know at some point, something's gonna happen. I mean, it's sad, I've seen it so many times. Uh, you know, people develop arthritis or they fall down and break a hip or whatever, or stroke, heart attack, you name it. But some kind of um, medical issue big enough after the age of 50. So for my people over the age of 50, I always like to add, you no know, guarantee insurability rider. Um, and that's only for life insurance, that guaranteed insurability is only for the life insurance insurance. Yeah, yeah. so um, for the health insurance, that's a very good question. I'm not 100% sure I have to look into that, but I know you have definitely life insurance, you have guaranteed insurability rider, okay. right? So for all my people over, so for your people over the age of 50, you always want to add at least a guaranteed insurability rider, um, no, and and you want to add um, no long-term care, right? Because they may need extra insurance in the future, so they may not be able to afford that, but either you add a guaranteed insurability rider, um, or you add a base insure and long-term care policy. But definitely okay. if your clients over the age of 50, unless they, 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 they tell you specifically, they tell you, hell no, I don't want it. And you beg them and cry and they say, no, I don't care. I don't want it. But always do whatever it takes to get your clients to sign up for long-term care rider if they're over the age. So that, that would be uh, like for, if you have term insurance. No, 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 no. Um, this would be for permanent policies. Oh, for permanent policy. All of the yeah, riders yeah, are for permanent yeah, riders. Yeah, yeah, so the guarantee insurability rider is, is for permanent policies. So let me put it for permanent life insurance policy. Because um, temporary insurance policies are temporary, right? Um, term insurance, like 10 years, five years. Yeah. Could term insurance have guarantee? Mm, technically, yes. Uh, I mean, if it's a 30-year term, but 90% of the time is permanent. For exam purposes, just know it's permanent. All right. Can I ask? I mean, this may sure. seem crazy. I don't know. So if you have permanent insurance, 
Um, why would a person want to have the guaranteed or want to yeah, Perfect. the guaranteed insurability rider? Okay. You so already have whole life. Yeah, so the guaranteed insurability rider allows you to get extra insurance in the future. So sometimes people, uh, you know, people, uh, let's just say I do your financial analysis, you're my client, and you know, maybe your money, because the insurance company also looks at your income to determine how much insurance you can get. They, usually it's around 10 times your annual income. So whatever your income is, you know, usually the max will be 10 times that. So. If you're making 50,000 a year, rule of thumb, the maximum you'll qualify for will be 500,000, right? So, so now, let's just say what you need is $1 million, right? You need a $1 million coverage, but what you can actually qualify for now is 500,000, right? So you have a gap of 500,000 now. Um, we know that you know, people income can always increase, right? So maybe Miss Pam may be lucky, she may hit the uh, jackpot. No, if you hit the jackpot, please remember me. No, <laughs> 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 you can hit the 500 million or 600 million dollar jackpot and boom, yes. you no, know, um, overnight you're, you're uh, wealthy, right? So now you want to go ahead and increase your coverage. But now you want to go ahead and increase your coverage. Oh, oh, God forbid, Miss Pam, she has whatever, cancer or this or that. So the insurance company are like, nope, you don't qualify. And you go to every insurance company, um, they won't qualify. But if you had a guaranteed insurability rider, mm -hmm. then you buy extra coverage. Um, right. you know, uh, even though you have cancer or whatever, you can buy extra coverage okay. uh, without having to um, prove that you're insurable. So it, it, won't, it won't matter what health condition you're in. So the guaranteed right. insurability rider just allows you, you know, again, it's you know, optional, right? If in right. the future you want extra insurance, it allows you to get extra insurance um, um, no matter what your health condition is. Okay. All right. And with that, we have concluded all of the um, all of the riders. So when we come back, we're going to um, you know we're going to do um, you know some more questions on riders and stuff. But okay. now, now, now you see everything is you know, turning you know, orange as go, right? So when yes. we do all this, we're going to cover every single thing. Yeah, uh, no, we're going to yeah, we're going to cover um, no about eighty percent at least today. Uh, if we can get you eighty percent, that would be great. All, all right. right. So let's take a break. Let me go and eat something. So let's take a twenty-five minute break. We'll um, be back at three o'clock. Right? Okay. Um, yeah, so I'll end the recording here. And All right, so three o'clock? Yeah, three o'clock. All right. All right. Bye.